In this episode of Retroactive, we take a look at a game developed by a company that took the Microsoft approach and ended up with the most popular game service in history. The term is toxic. It's one of those words in the English language that almost everybody knows what it is without explanation, and it sounds just like what it is. Toxic. It's bad for you. It's bad for whatever you're describing. You probably imagine it fluorescent green with some bubbles growing out of it and steam growing in the air, right? <laughs> well, aside from the comparisons with today's game, it's very clear that toxicity is alive and well, especially in places on the internet where people get to thrive in anonymity. Inclusive is another word that pretty much falls in the same definition. It's not bad or anything, but it's one of those words you know just by listening to it, and it sounds like what it is. It's involving people. It's bringing people together. And I bring all this up because when you start looking around circles, video game circles in general, but especially the retro circles, there is this hint, right? This, this feeling, this tweak, shall I say, of inclusiveness, right? It feels like a community that wants you to be a part of it. It likes you to get excited. But once you actually start to delve into that community, you find out very quickly that it's all false. It's actually probably one of the most toxic communities I've ever been a part of. And there's a reason for that. It's not like the traditional internet. It's not like your 4chans and your reddits where you'll just get bad people just coming in trying to cause chaos. Far from it, actually. These people probably don't even realize how toxic they are being. And I think that thrives on stubbornness, but we're not here to get into the psychological profile of the average retro gamer. But here's what I do know. You get in, they welcome you, you join a community, you get pitched about 300 times on the latest Kickstarter or Patreon that somebody wants you to be a part of. We are part of neither for the record. And then it hits you. You need help. How do I set up a mister? How do I install an arcade board into an old arcade? How do I fix a monitor? And there are very few places that are open and welcoming to this kind of information. You get these short, drab, kind of pathetic responses, a lot of don't you knows, a lot of do your research or go Google it, which obviously you've probably done since you're writing into the forum. It's like the second step. You Google it first and then you go to the forum. And there's also this feeling that you not only have this built-in knowledge, what, you don't know how a scaler works, bro? You don't know what 240p is and how it works? Ask someone in the retro gaming community what 240p is and see what kind of responses you get. I think you very rarely get what I would consider an accurate response, <laughs> which also brings me to the second problem. 
The internet is rife with false information, and it stems from everywhere. Even the media conglomerates that tend to cover this stuff fill you with false information, and it, it can drive a person nuts. But if I go and rant and rave about it, or if I go on the forums and start course correcting everyone like I'm the nerdy guy in the uh, comic book shop in The Simpsons, it's not going to help anything. I only perpetuate this concept of toxicity. And so... To you out there, dear listener, I encourage you in every circle of life, but specifically in the retro gaming circles, which I'm going to guess you want to be a part of or are a part of because you're listening right now. Try to be less toxic, less gatekeeping, less misinformation, and less elitism, and try to be more inclusive. I know. A lot of people out there don't like training other people. They don't like educating and informing. And if that's you, then don't do it. Just say nothing. Do the one thing the internet seems to have a real problem with. Keep your mouth shut. If you can't answer the person's question accurately and politely, then don't answer it. You can just stay out of it. That's perfectly fine. And if they get no responses... Yeah, it sucks, but silence is much better than rude or inaccurate responses. So, in closing, as you go out there and wade into the retro pools and enjoy this upcoming episode of Retroactive, just always keep in mind that maybe it's better to be a little less toxic and a little more inclusive. Coming up on this episode, the triumphant return of Jamaleas to talk about Half-Life. I get down and dirty in the hardware section with the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive, and we wrap the whole thing up with a little discussion on frame rates. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the hardware section for this episode. I am your host, Fred Rojas, and for today's talk, I decided to, especially with our guest, Jam, and and the European connection, I decided to go back to a console that really does define retro gaming's, like, worldwide appeal, which is none other than the Sega Mega Drive, also known as the Sega Genesis, only in America. And I think that is a copyright thing, just in case people are wondering. And the reason I say that is because Nintendo has this trouble with distribution and really delving into the European market. There are a couple of issues with it, such as it has a different broadcast standard, PAL versus NTSC and NTSCJ, which are basically the same standard that were utilized by Nintendo or by United States and Japan. 
Whereas you've got this different broadcast standards, you've got a different frame rate, you've got to program for it, you've got to adapt for it, and then you've got this distribution problem because it's a bunch of really small countries all packed together with their own rules and laws and things like that, and they do a really good job of universalizing themselves, but you can see how it can be a logistical problem that Nintendo just seemed to want to ignore. So the first time we really see a console just widely making itself available that is not a microcomputer, which is really what Europe uh, relied on. You know, think about it nowadays. They relied on PC gaming because they were tired of waiting for hardware to give them proper distribution. And so Sega came out with the Mega Drive. Now, even its previous console, the Mark III or the Master, the SG-1000 Mark III or the Master System, uh, had a decent amount of uh, uh, distribution throughout Europe, but I really think it hits home with the Mega Drive. So let's talk a little bit about the Mega Drive and maybe some of your options if you want to get your hands on one and or play some of the library. So the first time I know of the Mega Drive coming out obviously comes out in Japan in late 88. Now, when the Mega Drive comes out, it is a 16-bit solution. There are none of those out there at this time. The PC Engine had been out for about a year, and it was doing gangbusters. It's known as the TurboGrafx-16 in North America, and it's super rare in Europe to the point that people don't even really acknowledge it having a release there. Um... But it was an 8-bit console with a 16-bits graphics processor. So the best way I like to describe it is, think of an NES that could walk, talk, and look like an arcade machine, right? <laughs> um, but at its core, it still was limited to 8-bit uh, processes, which becomes a problem with certain effects, certain uh, sprite sizes, and certain numbers of things on the screen. Um, the Mega Drive is actually based off of the X68000 chip by Motorola. And a lot of people, because this was so widely used, it was in the, uh, the, the Macintosh. It was in many, many, many arcade boards. Heck, it's part of the Sharp X68000 PC, which was basically the dev kit for the Capcom CPS1 games, such as like Final Fight and, and various others that I'm just blanking on right now. But... The, the thing to keep in mind is, like, this is a very versatile chip. And then people go, well, okay, so if it's in all that stuff, if it's in arcade boards for, like, the Sega 16, such as Altered Beast, and it it's the, you know, it's, it's this X68000, which did, you know, Final Fight, and uh, it's in the Macintosh, why don't Sega Genesis games look and act better? Well, because it also was only at, at launch 200 bucks. And so you have to make it cost effective. And much like saying like, oh, it's an Intel iChip, right? There are various degrees of iChips. There's the i3, the i5, the i7, the i9. They're all based off of the same architecture, but because of different powers, you have different capabilities. So there's that. They had to have a marketable, easy, cheap to buy version. So it's got to have a certain clock speed and capabilities. Um, uh, you know, the, the Mega Drive, I believe, was seven megahertz clock speed, roughly. And you've got like 33 megahertz as the clock speed for the Sharp X68000, I believe. Uh, the other thing, and this is probably just as important, if not more so, is realize that when, when you're dealing with the Sharp X68000 or especially arcade boards uh, or even the Macintosh, you've got other components assisting. So it's not just one processor trying to do everything. You've got a lot of coprocessors for graphics, sound, things like that. And that's how you can create a more comprehensive and higher quality 
uh, visual presentation. The other thing is, in a lot of cases, the arcade boards didn't have to necessarily be as versatile as the Sega Genesis. The Sega Genesis and Mega... So I'll keep calling it the Genesis, even though I know you Europeans out there know it as the Mega Drive. Uh, it's just what I grew up with. But the Genesis has to take all kinds of cartridges and be able to work with them. And so... You know, uh, whereas the Altered Beast cabinet, well, essentially didn't have to do anything but Altered Beast. So that explains a lot of that stuff. But um, the other thing is it does have a sound processor, though, which is the, uh, I believe it's a Z80... um, uh, no, maybe it wasn't, uh, but I, I know that was what the mega, uh, the master system was based off of. And that's why you can like hook into that and, and utilize it to do master system stuff. It might've been a Z80, but it's the Yamaha YM something chip that did some, some very cool sounds, but that chip adapted and changed over the time, the course of time that the Mega Drive was out. So there's a lot of different versions of the Genesis Mega Drive, and that's why you get different quality differences. So when we talk about the hardware here, I want to delve a little bit into um, the different models that came out, especially if you're going to go try to buy one today, because the Genesis or Mega Drive is probably one of the more inexpensive consoles out there. Like the PlayStation 1, is just not as heavily sought after or collected, and therefore a lot of people buy and sell them. So it's got a more active market, and therefore the price has stayed a little bit on the low side. And then with the Genesis, you have the, uh, versus the PS1, you don't have to worry about optical drives dying. So as long as the cartridge port stays strong and the capacitors don't leak, you're pretty good. And so there's a lot of considerations you need to have out there when you're picking your console. So let's give you a little bit of information on the different model types, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, which one might be ideal for you. So starting off, there was the traditional, I call it the wheel or the rounded console. Most people have seen it. It was jet black, It has a a circle around the cartridge port, a big old 16-bit in, I believe it's in gold in Europe, uh, definitely in Japan, and then it's in silver in America, and it just says 16-bit, and there's a cartridge slot there. You will notice on its output, it only has mono sound. The Genesis was capable of stereo sound, but it didn't output that in the first model. And so it it also has a different output port. It is known as the Genesis Model 1 output port. Um, it's different than the 8-pin traditional, or is it 9-pin? I forget. But the traditional Genesis 2, which is much more common, output port. So it's it's bigger, it's thicker, it's rounded. It kind of looks like the Neo Geo port, although I do think they are different, slightly different. Um, and so if you're using composite video or whatnot, you'll just plug that in there and you'll get uh, mono sound and, um, and you'll get uh, a, a composite video. Uh, it does natively do RGB out. So if you get an RGB cable or like a RetroVision, uh, you know, HD cable, uh, you can hook these up to work with either a SCART co- uh, attachment in Europe. You can use component video out in America for 240p RGB. And of course, you can hook them up to all your scalers so that you can make them look really nice on your HD TV. Um, the problem you'll run into is one, obviously you've still got mono out with the sound. There are adapters and ways you can like kind of hijack the stereo sound out of the uh, headset adapter and use those instead. There's like the easiest version, which is just plugging a cable that has the 
3.5 millimeter stereo in for the headset jack and then having the audio outs and just plug that into your TV or scaler. Uh, there are bypass cables where you can just kind of integrate them into your video cable that you're pointing out from. There are all kinds of tutorials. RetroRGB has a good tutorial if you feel good with soldering where you can do a patch cable on the internal components to basically rewire that uh, headset out. And then there is, of course, modify modifications. So you'll notice there are jail bars, which are little vertical lines that kind of make up the video signal that are quite common in the Genesis One. And so you might want to get those out of the way. And there is like a jail bar fix. Um, there is... Uh, a modification you can solder in that will fix this stereo problem. And then there is probably the most popular one nowadays, which is called the triple bypass. It's recommended by, I think by a lot of people, if you want the highest quality signal to do in every console, but it's especially notable in the Genesis Mega Drive Model 1 where you want to, you can use this and it will kind of clear up, give you the best picture, the best sound. And most people consider the particular iteration of the Yamaha chip that is in the Genesis One to create the best sound out there. Although I will get to it in a minute, you may be surprised that there are some late Model 2s that can get pretty darn close. In fact, I couldn't tell the difference, even though I'm sure somebody out there can. So that's your Model 1. Your Model 1 is also compatible with the later released Sega CD. You can use it with the Sega CD-1, which is the drive tray underneath. I less recommend these nowadays because the tray can go bad. And if the laser goes bad, there's just a lot of moving parts that can break, but it's completely compatible with that. In fact, it was intended for it, but it can also work with the Genesis model, or the Sega CD model two, um, where you can hook it up as like a side loader. There is something that's probably harder to find nowadays, but there's a little piece of plastic because the Genesis one's longer or sorry. Uh, yeah, it's longer than the Genesis two. So it kind of hangs off the edge of the, of the tray that, that exists underneath the Sega CD two to like have your Genesis rest on. You don't need it, but for aesthetics, you might want it. Um, but yeah, you can completely hook up to that. Just keep in mind in both regards, you need a special little patch cable that basically mixes in the stereo audio of the Sega CD with the mono out of the Genesis to create just like an ideal circumstances. The best way to do it is probably to use the patch cable to send your Genesis sounds to the Sega CD and then output them through stereo. I don't know, you can do some research on that, but it's perfectly compatible with that. The Genesis one is also perfectly compatible with the 32X attachment on top. Again, you need a special version of the patch cable. The patch cable that came with the 32X was just for the Genesis two and you had to buy the Genesis one. But I think a lot of like retro markets out there do make these patch cables, but it, it might be a little bit of an investment. So something to look into. Um, but yeah, those, it's a pretty versatile, pretty compatible console. You may want to do some modifications. I think the triple bypass mod is about 75 bucks and that's assuming you know how to install it. These models, you also may want to consider recapping. So you want to get capacitors and you want to solder those in. It's quite a kit for the Genesis one, but I know there's a lot of people out there that can uh, do this kind of service because of the commonality of the Genesis. So, uh, but it may be something you want to think about because those capacitors, capacitors can leak and then they can damage your Genesis. Um, right after that was probably the most mainstream and was around for the longest period of time, which was the Genesis 2 model 
or the Mega Drive 2 model. This is the boxier um, black console uh, that had the, uh, the power and reset buttons in the front. Those had a more common port, the Genesis 2 port, and most of the cables and accessories for that Sega made back in the day were built for this. And this will be your most common and inexpensive console on the market. Now, there were four versions, and you can kind of look this stuff up, but there was versions 1, 2, 3, and 4. 1 and 2, again, most common, and I think it's serial numbers and model numbers you can look at to figure them out. But these are the ones that are probably, the, again, the most common, but the least sought after. Uh, a lot of people think that the sound output's not great. There's a decent chance of jail bar problems, but it does have audio out. It gets rid of the headset port. And one of the most common problems for these is that the reset button breaks, which is very uh, important if you're going to use like a Sega CD where reset becomes how you like kick out the tray in the Sega, Gen uh, Sega CD1 model or how you restart certain things on the Sega CD2 model. So if you're planning to use it with a Sega CD, you want to make sure that reset button works. Another problem is capacitors are prone to leaking as well. So this is another set, if you have a version one or two, that you want to recap them. Um, so again, the quality is the lowest. Still good, still has good RGB out, has the very popular Genesis 2 port, but it may be your starter console, right? Like where you spend the least amount of money to play a little bit with the Genesis and see if you like it. If you're gonna go back and relive your childhood and you already know you love the library, you may wanna do some modifications. I highly recommend yet again, capacitors, uh, recapping and the uh, triple bypass mod, then when you've got both of those in place, you're kind of good to go with a good, strong, long-lasting console that gives you some good output. But there is nothing I can do about the fact that some people say that that output chip, it just doesn't do the Genesis sound um, justice. I can kind of see what they're talking about. I can hear it when I hear it side by side. But if you just put me in a V2 with a triple bypass in there and throw in Sonic the Hedgehog, I don't think I'm going to notice at face value. Um, but just something to think about. And yet again, you can do RGB out natively with just an RGB cable. Um, this is compatible with both the Sega CD1 and Sega CD2. No problems there. It's compatible with the 32X. No problems there. So you're kind of good to go with the Genesis 2. Now, the two models I haven't talked about yet are the more rare and people do know to look for them. So you will be paying more for these V3 and V4 models. These are also known as the three and a, uh, three quarter models um, because the motherboard is three quarters of the size of the V1 and V2. And the reason these are notable is especially with the um, V4 model, these have the highest quality output of video and audio for the, um, the Model 2. And more specifically, the V4s uh, in, in particular are said to uh, create a sound that is almost identical, if not identical to some ears, as the Genesis 1. Now, how do you tell these? Uh, well, first of all, people usually call them out. It is by, of course, model number and serial number. But the easy visual way to see a V3 versus a V4, in case you're looking on like eBay with screenshots, is that the V4 models, when you look in the grill, have little squares cut out of their, uh, their metal shielding. Uh, so you could literally look in the vent on the bottom and see the little squares cut out once you verify the serial numbers and whatnot. Um, it's always ideal to have a V4, but a V3 would work perfectly fine. Um, 
you're talking very minuscule things. So if you find an auction person who knows they have a V3 and a V4 and the difference is like 10 bucks, yeah, grab the V4. But if you're talking like 75 to 125, you may want to reconsider that. Um, recapping is less necessary for these, but it's always advisable, especially to eliminate the problem and give you a good long lasting console. But I would say if you have a V3 or a V4, uh, and you don't know if it's been recapped or, you know, it hasn't been maybe wait for symptoms to show up. If you need new capacitors, the symptoms will show up very quickly. You'll start having audio problems. You'll start having video problems. You'll start having power problems. If you have any of these problems, and especially if they're inconsistent or they just pop in and pop out, that's the sign of a capacitor capacitor going and maybe just recapping the console would be a good idea. I also don't believe you need a jail bar fix. I definitely didn't with mine and I didn't need a triple bypass, but you can always go out there and read it. It might be overkill with these models. Uh, again, the V3s and the V4s will be known, but essentially from a hookup standpoint, they are identical to any Sega Genesis 2, but they just have better quality output because there's better quality components because they were so late in the manufacturing. Uh, there are some clone uh, consoles out there. I wouldn't even call them clone consoles. Sorry. We'll get to those in a minute. There are some uh, third-party consoles because Sega actually worked with JVC to allow them to create their own version of the Genesis. They basically gave them the schematics of the Genesis or Mega Drive and allowed them to make their own version of the console. This is the sought-after JVC-XI, which is a Sega Genesis and Sega CD all-in-one. It has its own, like, intro that's not Sega-based when you power it up, but it is essentially compatible with the entire Genesis and Sega CD library. To my knowledge, it does not work with the 32X, but I didn't do a whole lot of research on that, so you might want to look that up. These are very sought after, very rare consoles, and I don't know if they need, if they're prone to recapping. I bet they do need recapping if you can, and you might want to do a triple bypass to them. I'm not quite sure how their uh, output looks, but I'm pretty sure it's the Sega Genesis 2 output. I had one when I was way younger and starting to get into uh, retro gaming again back when I was in like my early 20s, but like I got rid of it because it was worth so much back then and now I can only imagine what they're worth. Uh, Pricecharting.com if you're curious. There's also the Sega Genesis 3. This was actually made by, I think, Mattel. This came out very late in the console. It's a very compact console. And it's, I'm just going to come out and say it, it's probably not what you're looking for. The reason being is, one... It's a very small motherboard. It's kind of cute to look at, but it's not compatible with like really anything a retro enthusiast would want nowadays. First and foremost, it has a, I think a Genesis 2 out, but it's only composite video. It does not do RGB. Sure, you can buy a modification kit to mod it, but I don't know if you really want to spend that kind of money when you could just get a Genesis 1 or 2. Uh, secondarily, it is incompatible with the Sega CD because it doesn't have an expansion slot or the 32X. Yes, there are ways to mod it to work with the 32X. I haven't done that research, but just something to think about. Uh, also, uh, the one bit of good news, though, is it usually doesn't need recapping. It, they were good, strong capacitors at that time. And so if you are just going to hook this up to a CRT and you don't care about anything but composite video, these can be cheap solutions. They are pretty inexpensive and they are straight up plug and play composite out models. And they did come with six button controllers. So more than likely you'll get two Sega Genesis six button controllers with them for a pretty inexpensive price. And they are, to my knowledge, compatible with the entire Genesis catalog or Mega Drive catalog. Um, also on the region front, um, your console will output 
games from other regions to whatever frame rate your region is for. However, it may adapt the speed. So like a PAL game will run too fast. So it's something to think about. And you do need to do modifications to the cartridge slot in order for them to play. There's no real lockout other than form factor. You can look up those online. Uh, wrapping up, we also have the Sega Nomad, which was the handheld console version. That's kind of self-explanatory. It's all set up. You can play it on the little LCD. You can get rechargeable batteries for it, but it takes six double A's and drains them in like two hours. So you definitely want like a, a battery solution. I will let you know that a Genesis 2 power cable can be plugged into it and it'll work for as long as you want if you don't want it as a very portable console, which is probably not your intent. You also will want to probably recap it and also use um, the triple bypass when you're going to hook it up to a television. I do believe it is capable of RGB out. Uh, last but not least is the CDX, which was the portable CD console that was a Sega, um, uh, a Sega Genesis and Sega CD all in one. I do not believe it's compatible with the 32X. Oh, also, I don't believe the Nomad is either. Um, it does do RGB out to a Genesis 2, but these I know you definitely want to recap. Um, I I, I'm not sure about the video output. You might want to do some look into the quality of the video and audio out of the uh, CDX. I bet it was a later manufactured thing, so it's probably more akin to the V3s and V4s, but I didn't do that research. Sorry. Um, they break very easily, though. You'll often want to fix the laser lens and the laser stuff. You'll want to change the capacitors. They are very expensive whether they work or not. This is for your collectors who want something very novel and to show it off from time to time, but you're going to put in a lot of money to get a good, strong, built-to-last working model. But once you do, sky's the limit, baby. So there is that. Um, <clears throat> last but not least, you've got your clone consoles. So there's a ton of Genesis clone consoles that are officially licensed. They're not knockoffs from at games. They all have a bunch of games built into them. They do have cartridge slots and they do have composite out. Avoid these at all costs. Aside from the composite video, the cartridge slot is bunk. A lot of the games built in are bad and it's not compatible with a lot of things and it adds lag and all kinds of goofy stuff. Just stay away from them. If you want a good clone console, M2 was responsible for the Sega Genesis Mini, the officially licensed Sega one, which is still on shelves nowadays and pretty easy to find, I think, worldwide. It does have a good list of games, but unless you mod it, which is very easy ways to uh, soft mod it with just like a USB and some software, um, you can really put whatever you want on it. And that is a recommended route to go uh, for a good, inexpensive, under $100 solution to enjoy the Sega uh, library. Of course, you'll, you'll be doing this on an HDTV, so make sure you want HD and you don't want it on a classic CRT or something like that. Um, but it is a good way to play those games in, in great form, and then you can mod it to add whatever games you want. Again, there is a potential probable piracy route to that, so that's your personal opinion as to whether or not you want to walk that path. Um, Last but not least, you do have the Mega SG from Analog. This is a great catch-all solution that is capable of playing Sega CD games, and I do believe there's some modifications. It's not ready out of the box, but you can do a 32X as well. But really, if you're getting this, you really want to focus on just Sega CD and Genesis. It does have a cartridge slot, so it's compatible with all hardware and flash carts. And you can, of course, soft mod it with the jailbreak software that's readily available. It's a real easy thing. Put it on an SD card and update your console. And then you can play 
you know, pirated games or ripped games um, on the SD card without needing the cartridge at all. The hardest part about this is Analog's pretty bad pre-order business practices. They're not readily available, um, but it'll set you back about $200 and it's money well spent. It's well built if you can get your hands on it and you're looking for like kind of the high quality HDMI out. So anyway, that is the Genesis Mega Drive, one of my favorite consoles. I was not a Nintendo kid. I understand that the SNES took the world by storm, but there's a lot of appreciation and a lot to like about the Genesis Mega Drive. And a lot of people who grew up without this console are going back and looking into some of the very cool stuff. One thing I think that's so distinct about it is it's not better than Nintendo in my eyes. It's just different. And I think that's what's really cool. Until you've played a bunch of Super Nintendo games and a bunch of Sega Genesis or Mega Drive games, you don't really see the differences. And it enhances both libraries to be able to make that comparison. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to um, the game club or uh, game focus section of the podcast. And uh, I am one of your hosts today. My name is Fred Rojas, and joining me is an old friend who is all too familiar, I think, to people who are listening to this is Mr. Jam Elias. Mr. Jam, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to great to be back. Yeah. Um, after what seems like too long, in my opinion. So. Yes, I. Uh, this came from me just sending you an email. We always kind of keep in chat. Like I see you around, yeah. and we we talk and stuff. But, but like I sent you a true blue email that was like, I want to do something together. Let's see if we can do something together. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and you obliged, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I was like, I've always wanted to play through Half Life, and you're like, Oh, I can talk Half Life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, well, uh, anything you want to share, like updates or anything? I know people have been reading your stuff on Ladies Gamers, myself included. Um, or is it Ladies Gamer? Sorry. Uh, no, it's, I think it's plural. I think it's Ladies okay. Gamers. I, God, I, I don't so. even, I can't, it's probably not good of me to not remember that. Oh no, it's, but, it's, but it's, yeah. It's, it's Ladies Gamers, yeah. You yeah. have been cranking the written word <laughs> and in good form, sir. Well, like, thank you very much, yeah. Yeah, like uh, I, if I ever need to keep in touch with the indie Switch scene, <laughs> not specifically that, but that's where you seem to have a penchant. Um, I know I can find you there, so it's been... Uh, it's yeah, been... they mostly focus on the handheld, which is cool, which is all cool by me. I, I really just uh, jumped on that um on a whim actually last last march i think it was because um i just i wanted an excuse to get back into writing as you do and um 
I don't know. I don't know. I just sort of, I just, I think I've, I think I reached out to them because I read a review of theirs by a game called um, Heaven Dust, which is like a Resident Evil knockoff. Huh. Um, and then uh, they, I noticed that they always said, they said, oh, if you want to write for us, let us know. I thought, oh, I'll give it a bash. Why not? And then I guess that's how they're ever since then. I've been sort of cranking out, um, cranking out reviews, which I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. I have to say it's, it's, it's I, I'm very grateful uh, to them uh, for giving me the opportunity uh, uh, because of the, um, it, it, I've not really done this. I've certainly not done this many reviews in writing for a long time, but it's um, it's very much got me back into um, a passion of mine, which is writing. And I, I think I actually kind of enjoy writing the reviews more than I enjoy playing some of the games. But of course, you can see that for yourself from reading some of my reviews, I guess. Oh yeah, but that's good. And like, that's what I, I think it's great, honestly. Like it's, that's the right reason to do it. Um, and you are cranking, man. Like you are doing the boot camp, but that is exactly how you refamiliarize yourself with writing. And I've learned as of late, I've gotten quite rusty myself. Um, I, I, I self-edit a hundred times like I do, but uh, that first draft is, woo. you come back the next day and you're like, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do go back and reread some of mine. I, I, that's one thing I'm quite pleased about within um, within a whole year is um, I've, uh, <laughs> I can see the notable improvements, shall we say. <laughs> some of my, so Anyone I, who's I, ever written can see that. But I, like I said, I, I, I dug your stuff like from the beginning. Like you... Nowadays, writing a review is, uh, to me, really about an angle and really, like, saying, like, you have to sit back and say, well, I know what the game wants to be, but what is it, right? And, like, I think a lot of people still struggle with that because they're used to, I think it's going away more and more, but um, the old school style of, like, well, here's the graphics, here's the sound, here's the story. Yeah, it's it's yeah. <laughs> the, the cookie cutter doesn't work anymore, but the new problem is everybody wants to editorialize. Uh, and yes, a review is that, but like you do that right balance where you're like, you're giving a feel for what it is to play the game and what your interpretation of what that game one wants to be two actually is and what it does well and what it doesn't do well. But also like <laughs> you don't have like an ulterior like some reviews you're like what is this review about suddenly we're hearing about their dead cat like i don't understand what's going on <laughs> and i do think that's a problem that's come from the i don't even know if people would say it's a problem but from the myspace youtube you know um yeah, Facebook world yeah, where everything um, becomes centric uh sorry almost megalomaniacal you you have to bring everything back to yourself and uh a review isn't Absolutely. really that. And so you do a very good job. And you have a very good voice. Uh, in the I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a normal, very good voice. We all know that. You have your fan club. <laughs> but, um, but yes. <laughs> My small but mighty fan club. I very much so. Are you kidding me? The... Uh, the 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 we need jam uh, empire is uh, is alive and well. It's I get an email at least once a month that's asking where you've been, and mm. am I keeping you off the show? And I'm like, absolutely. I keep him in a cage. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, no, no, let's go over that. <laughs> we let him out from time to time. Uh, it's like the you're like the McRib. We can't let you do too much, otherwise people get used to you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, and and just to make it clear, this is both to Jam and myself because this is kind of like a reunion for us both on and off mic. Yeah. Um, you know, no promises as to frequency of these or you know him, but Jam, you are welcome on any and every show I ever do. That's always been the case. So, absolutely. So just. Know. Well, yeah. I have been intending to get back into the podcasting scene for the longest time, actually, yeah, which I, I, I do definitely intend to do more stuff with yourself. But I, I may watch this space because I might try and do some solo stuff myself in the near future, which will be more focused on um, 
the stuff, yeah, like the writing stuff more, but just talking about. But I guess if you want, it's bit, think of it like the DVD extras of the <laughs> the making ofs awesome. of some of these reviews. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll leave it there actually because uh, I do intend to get to that. Um, but well, you know, it's, it's a, that's a really cool perspective. Actually, I never thought of that. Mm. That's a good idea. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, that's the thing. I've been, it's something I've been bouncing around for a while. But as we were just talking to, because. Um, yeah, because yeah, I listen to loads of podcasts still. I still do to this day, and um, it's just it's trying to find something that I, I think that you were saying it earlier with the with the writing stuff. It's finding something that's just unique to you, and rather than stressing myself thinking, well, what will everybody else like? I think I'm just going to try and do something I like first, and then maybe we'll see where it goes from there. And. Yeah, I, I think we are truly at that point in podcasting, if you want my opinion, and content generation in general, unless it's your full-time job where you have like corporate overlords. Um, I really think that, exactly. Like um, Chase uh, from Learn From Gaming was one of the biggest people who pushed that on me. He was like, just do what you love, share it with the world. And if people uh, people want to experience it, they will come to it. And you'll find that most people will. They'll just na- naturally navigate to it. So do what you love because... First and foremost, you got to have your drive, and your drive is just your own passion. Mm, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, if you're that ready, <laughs> we'll shift gears to the apocalypse. You ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. Well, so here's how we're going to do it. Again, this is kind of the culture surrounding Half-Life, which uh, there's a lot of culture surrounding Half-Life. Half-Life is a loaded topic. It's kind of like um, taking, you know, just... I'm not going to name one, so just think of whatever one in your head you want. But talking about Half-Life in a bubble as, like, its own game is kind of like talking about, like, higher-level concepts based off of one work and not realizing what they really mean. You know what I mean? Um, But I think we're going to try to tackle this uh, um, because a lot of people go play Half-Life now and come to me – or I've just seen people talk about it, and they're like, is this game even good? Well, of course, it's good. Yeah. It wouldn't have gotten this far sure if it wasn't. <laughs> but I, I don't know how digestible it is, and I've now played through it, so I, I see some of the points. But uh, if you're cool with it, Jim, I think we should open with what Half-Life, kind of how it was bred and what it was when it came out. Because I do think, mm. I think the culture surrounding what Half-Life is and established in 1998 is like probably the most quintessential part of of it but it's not it is a game that's dated like you and i were talking about beforehand but it's not like it's not how do i say this it it doesn't it's it it didn't like not age well it just aged Mm. particular yeah i think that's a good that's a good way of saying it really it's um it's certainly yeah, it will always. It's going to always be remembered as a important, but for many reasons, actually, for for as important part of uh, Valve's um, get backlog library, as well as a kind of an iconic first person shooter that everybody still raves about to this day. Whether it's about the sequel that's never going to happen, or the <laughs> or where you know it's, it's origin. Oh, I'm sorry, sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the, there, is there, is there going to be a third game? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and you know what? For those that are not familiar, we'll tackle that a little bit with um, uh, probably coming up here before we talk about the game itself with, um, you know, the the big uh, controversy surrounding Half-Life 3 and its apparent lack of 
you know, is it real? Is it not? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> There's yeah, no I'll real reason it. to bring it out. <laughs> what the heck would it be? Um, so, but uh, if you're ready, I wanted to dive a little bit into the development. Uh, I don't yes, want to go absolutely. too deep into it, but it'll definitely give us an opportunity to talk about mm. what um, what it is, and then maybe get into anything that um, um, that you want to get into. That's the. It, so, I guess my question is. Did you prepare much about the creation of Half Life and and anything that uh, like are you t- are you all that familiar on the development of Half Life? Not so much about the I know about the sort of um, yeah the, the Quake Two engine thing mm-hmm. stuff with it which is obviously main the main thing um, uh, but not not sort of about the actual should we say the nuts and bolts of how they came yeah you know, the design aspects but certainly about the it's funny, I found some of the PC stuff about how this is one of the first games to incorporate WASD, which is interesting. The first yes. person shooter. <laughs> so, yes, um, and actually, if we, if you want to, let's let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we'll talk about the development on Half-Life in a minute, but it's just kind of like background. I, mm. I think that was probably the most revealing thing I ever learned. I was unaware that WASD as just like a standard was set by Half-Life. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's the only thing I've discovered this week, actually, from reading up on this. So I was like, huh, this is the right. game. <laughs> yeah. And I guess there's a little bit of, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about development, but there's a little bit of, um, you know, butting a heads between id and Valve, uh, namely yeah. because uh, Valve basically went to id and said, okay, you've already invented the wheel, so we just want to take your wheel and make it better than the way you made it. And, <laughs> basically, yeah. And that's, that's kind of what Microsoft did with Apple. And Gabe Newell comes from you know, Microsoft, like he, he was one of those millionaires who made it big because he was at the right job at the right time and bonuses happened. And so was his co-founder. I apologize. I don't remember who co-founded valve with him, but it was like Chris something or anyway, Mm -hmm. the point was, uh, yeah, you're a bunch of nerds who made, uh, office apps and you strolled into id software in downtown Texas, where you've got the Johns, right. (laughs) And, and their, their motley crew, um, just kicking it gangbusters, right? And doing just about the craziest stuff out there. And in comes these Chapo guys who think they're just going to like make the next big thing. And what they want to do is basically Frankenstein what you've done and make it better. Like, how do you not get offended by that? And also they were cocky little jerks at id at the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) No offense, but like uh, two years before Half-Life comes out, John Carmack is going to make us his bitch. (laughs) Yeah, he wants to make it. Not that well. So yeah, you can't, can't, like these are the guys you're going up against, right? And and John Carmack doesn't really seem to like many people anyway. (laughs) And I don't think he liked Gabe Newell uh, at first blush. So... But uh, it should be noted, Quake 2 did have a way to bind keys. Like, you could yes, put in your own yeah. mod to bind keys. And um, that is where a lot of people say WASD originates and mm. where people came up with it. But it wasn't Quake that did it. It was just somebody was, like, playing around with the WASD yeah, configuration. Yeah. And it was Valve who said, no, we're going to use this as our keyboard and mouse standard. And that was the big deal because prior to this, it was all arrow keys. You remember playing Doom with arrow keys? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> how we did it before that. Believe it or not, guys, your right hand was your dominant hand for moving. For the yeah. strafing. <laughs> yeah, if you wonder why Doom is so easy nowadays, it's because strafing was tough oh, yeah. to do back then. You'd have to hold control, I think, and push left and right. Uh, mm. Yeah, circle strafing was way harder than it is now. <laughs> So, 
But yeah, I think that's huge, right? And um, Jam, are you a keyboard and mouse player? Like first person shooters, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So okay. for boots, um, yeah, it, it, well, there's, I guess there's a few exceptions, but yeah, stuff like Left 4 Dead, I still use mouse keyboard. Um, yeah, definitely half when I play through Half Life again, definitely mouse keyboard. Well, I can can you even map it to controller? Uh, you can, <laughs> as I will talk about <laughs> in a second, but it's not a it's not a good idea. Um, so. Uh, just to expand a little bit on that, yes, you can bind a, a gamepad to it. And actually, I played the Black Mesa version this time. So I played the, mm. the fan-made, updated version of Half-Life um, because I, I really struggled with the back third, like a lot of people, of the original <laughs> Half-Life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think that's because uh, we found out in development they had to cut a lot of stuff and rush a lot of stuff. Um I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but they talked about how their development process was to take a level, have testers play it, and if they had too high of a health or were wandering around too much or various other things, that they would tweak it. And then at the end of development, they had to cut a bunch of stuff and get the game out. Uh, it was actually delayed from spring of 98 to coming out right around Thanksgiving of 98. Um and I bet those final levels just hadn't been tweaked, right? If you think about, they probably yeah. didn't build them at the same, like in, in order of how you play through it, but I bet they tweaked it in order of how you play through it, which is why the rest of the game seems so much more balanced. Mm. Um, granted, it does have the difficulty spikes we were talking about before we went on the air. Um, <laughs> but uh, so anyway, I played the Black Mesa version and there is a native... Um, uh, joystick or X input, so basically an Xbox controller. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Configuration. It, but... Yeah, and it even gives you button prompts. There's mm. one thing missing that I think you can attest to, which is it does. Half Life is designed around the precision of a mouse. Yes. And when you don't yeah. have that, this game gets way harder, way faster. Mm. Um, because a gamepad cannot, an analog stick just cannot even come close to the kind of precision I watch when I see a playthrough or I experience mm. when I use a mouse. The problem is, is that I'm just not good with mouse. I'm, I'm too old to learn that trick. Um, so I can't play with WASD and a mouse. And that's probably <laughs> the core of my struggles with the late game um, in this, in this title. I was unable to beat it on my own. I had to watch a video for the, the, the very end. Um, Pretty much halfway through Zen, I'm like, okay. And I had gotten stuck <laughs> many times before. Yeah. Cool. Although I didn't have the same problems with Zen that you will with the original Half-Life, um, which we can talk to. But uh, yeah, I... Mm, mm. So, but yeah, this is a this is a gamer's... Uh, or sorry, a, a PC gamer's game. So... Uh, yes. Absolutely. Would you say it's safe to say it's probably in your best interest if you're going to play this game to play it with keyboard and mouse if at all possible? I, yeah, I, I would say that is by far the best way to go with this. Um, interesting note is the, the the version I played through this week was actually the um, the PlayStation Two version. Uh, yeah. so Cam's got a camera on. I'm I'm a bad boy, and I didn't even bring a camera here. But uh, but yeah, he's got um, the PS Two version. Did you know this one actually has um, mouse and keyboard support? <laughs> Does it? That. That's perfect. That's that's incredible because I've actually heard that the graphics are enhanced. Yes. versus yeah, the yeah, PC yeah, version right. and the yeah. Dreamcast version. There's an unreleased Dreamcast version that's mm -hmm. very readily available on the internet. It is the whole game. And from my understanding, it's just the 640 by 480 port of the PC game. 
basically it's but it's um yeah it, it's i've not played it but i've seen footage of it it's mm-hmm. it, i'd say if you're a die hard fan track it down but it's got horrific load times on that version it's oh, like yes. <laughs> the source stutter um yeah <laughs> uh which actually it wasn't in source the original half-life was not in source it was on the quake 2 engine um yeah but yeah so um you played through the ps2 version so here's what i will ask did they use mm-hmm. aim assist to soften that blow so what they do in the ps2 version which is a bit weird for the time is they they if you press the circle button it activates like an auto um aim feature so i say you so you can choose it basically it, it feels very zelda like you know for these older awkward time you know where you put the lock on button oh yeah like z-lock yeah because you sometimes when you press so if there's like a head crab bouncing around um you, you press so, and then the camera will just like forcefully move you right <laughs> it's really it's quite jarring actually it's just like so it's it's interesting because it, some people were quite harsh on it. it it makes sense and some like i think for the soldiers it works for quite well um you can also slightly sure. adjust it when you've done it so it will only lock on to like their sternum or the center of the enemy but obviously you mm. want to go if you want to go for like a headshot so you have to slightly move it around i think for, if you imagine when this was because this this pierced this is when first person shooters were still not very common on consoles this is still quite a new thing yes keep so, in mind um, when half-life hits ps2 let me double check that date i think we're going so it's here. november 2001 that's halo is coming out at this exact same time <laughs> exactly. so that's yeah, yeah. to put things into perspective no one had any right and this is a port like Sierra ported yeah, this port, yeah, so, um, it's a, so yeah. no one had any uh experience with this um I'm wondering who did the port job. Uh, looks like Valve might have done the port to uh, PS2. I've got, I've got Gearbox on here, so I oh, think, Gearbox, um, they, duh. Yeah, yeah. Of course they, they did. Yes. But the um, yeah, I mean, they they do they did make use of the dual analog sticks still. So they did like the one that we used to with Halo. So they still did that, which That's is good. good. So um, and you could you could mess it around however you wanted. There's a lot. There's actually a lot of you could. I think I believe you could um, map the buttons however you wanted on the game. I believe um, that's true. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, that was their sort of that that was their approach to auto aim. So by default, it's no, it doesn't do it automatically. It's you got to you got to choose to use it. And um, <laughs> it, again, depending on who you speak to, Cheap some people button. say it was yes. Yeah, so some some people will say it's it's terrible. But I, I think it because I played this when it was released. I, I actually brought this on release date because I didn't have a PC powerful enough to play the original. So that's how I played the first half life yep. originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very excited to play it because uh, all the yeah the the about it, all the praise it got so i was i was there day one um when how much was the game back then i think i think i spent at least 35 quid on it as well so. i was gonna say yeah i want to say retail was 50 on ps2 yeah, games that's yeah. right yeah um then i i, I was pleased with it. interesting note as well about this one this is a compact disc version so you know the you remember they were dvds yeah, mostly yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the blue it's the oh, purple yeah. <laughs> so, that indigo so. he's throwing that that disc around <laughs> We need to have the video per- portion of this so we can play around with stuff like that. But um, but yeah, maybe I'll figure out a way to make tons of plans so that it takes longer to make an episode. That's always a good idea. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, like I said, it's it's very interesting. And, and for those that are wondering, so yes, it came out on PC. It later, much later in 2013, was ported to OS X and Linux. But for the most part, it came out on PC. There's the canceled... Dreamcast port, which yes. again readily available, but really rough load times, and and 
Half-Life has these moments. Half-Life 2 even has it. Like the Source Engine had the same problems where you'd get to the end of like a level per se and they wanted to make it one persistent world, but it still freezes while it loads that into random. And even on Black Mesa on a modern PC, you have to deal with it. It's much (laughs) quicker, but you still have to deal with it. It's just funny when you see it, right? And I think Mm. people were kind of stifled by, if you've ever played the orange box on um, Xbox 360, same thing. When Gordon enters yeah, a new yeah. area, you have to wait for that source, source engine load. And people are like, what? <laughs> it just basically drops the old level and loads the new one. <laughs> like, uh, but uh, so this was really through and through a PC and PS2 game. The only other yeah. game I can think of that, that lived in the same realm was ironically, and the reason I say ironic is because the sequel was on Xbox as an exclusive, was Deus Ex. (laughs) Deus Ex was, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I do too. I have the Deus Ex PS2 version. The first time I played through Deus Ex was on on PS2. Yes, we should do an episode on (laughs) that as well. You and I could definitely do an episode on that because I've played the PC port as well. (laughs) That game, because of its pacing, I was able to play on PC with keyboard and mouse, but I'm very clumsy on it. Um, Half-Life, I don't think I have the skills to be able to keyboard and mouse it, especially as you get to the end um, and some of those boss battles. Boss battles don't actually exist in the first Half-Life for a while. Um, And then you get to... Right, like just before the, the the bottom of the Lambda area and then when you get into Zen, you're like, oh, no, no, no they're going to have me actually fight things. Um, yeah. It's no longer the trick to blow the big guy up, <laughs> which is how boss battles are handled in the first half of that game. Um, if you don't mind, I think we're getting, uh, we did get ahead of ourselves, but I like that about this show where it can yeah, just kind of yeah. go off on bunny trails and we can knock out things to talk about. Um but real quick, so just so people know um, how the development went, and Jam, I'll let you like fill in on it, but I don't want to get too into the weeds about it because there are plenty of enthusiastic people who have done that on both YouTube and in the written form. But mm-hmm. basically, you know, uh, Gabe Newell and his partner set out to make Valve. They want to make a first-person shooter. They go to id at first to learn from them and really get kind of like a not warm welcome, but they do license the Quake engine and, you know, there's no problem with that. And they start a game that is loosely based off of the concept of The Mist, the Stephen King novella. Yes. Yeah, Are you, yeah. Have you read that? I know it became a movie with Thomas Jane in it and it was okay. I've not read but... the book. I've seen, I've seen the movie, but not okay. read the book. <laughs> it is the first story. It's about 80 pages in Skeleton Crew for the big Stephen King nerds out there. Um, And it is very well written. It's amazing how in 80 pages he can cover more ground than Mm. the movie. But the big deal about the ending of the book, I'm going to spoil the ending of the novella where it differs from the film if you've seen the film. I won't talk about the film's ending. Um, Is that you basically find out that these two worlds, uh, the government opened a portal to another world and these two worlds are now one Mm. indefinitely. And there's something just so scary about the end of that story, especially when I read it as like a 12 year old with the idea that like, just imagine if like bestial creatures that can murder in record numbers walk the earth indefinitely. It's just, it's done. It's Mm. happened. And so you can see when you've played Half-Life, how that's basically the concept of the (laughs) Half-Life plot. Um, They do much better environmental storytelling, but that's what it is. And so that's where it started. It started with the name Quiver. And it was very smoky, very illustrious, very moved around. If you look online, they'll show you some videos of it. It just looks like a rougher version of Half-Life. It looks like it looks like you kind of made Silent Hill in the Quake engine, like hmm. if I if I'm being honest. 
Um, and so the couple of big things that they wanted to do, right, was environmental storytelling, which they do in droves. I'm sure we'll talk about it. You know, the train car is the one everyone talks about, but there are many others. Um, and then they wanted to have a story that's worthwhile, right? Everyone cites the good old John Carmack, like a story in a video game is like a story in porn. You need one, but it's not really important. Um, many people would disagree with that contemporarily today, but am I off base to say that that was probably a common developer and publisher notion in the late nineties? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like even quake, like people are like, what's the story in quake? I, I don't know. <laughs> <Nobody knows. laughs> Trent Reznor had a fever dream and they made the first game. And then in the second game, it was like, here's block people kill him. Like, I think you're escaping from prison, but I don't even know if you're supposed to be a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know. Um, it's been like Doom, and it's the original Doom. It's like, yeah, you know, what's really going on there? Right, like you, the, the original concept's easy enough. You're on Mars, and yeah. then there are demons. But then after that, right, like, you, go see the movie. It'll it does yeah. a better job. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so you know, Half Life set out to do something different, and I think they pretty much nailed it. It's a oh, little yeah. long in the tooth because the game is paced poorly. I wouldn't even say poorly. That's not giving it a fair shake. The game is paced to be one huge game, right? Like, and that was also par for the course at this time period. Like they had to be, it was all about content, right? Content, content, content. If you couldn't say you had 30 levels, maybe you could say you had 18 hours, right? And that mm -hmm. was what was important. Um, and I would say the people who say it's like 12 to 15 hours, I think those are people who have played it before and like know all the secrets and all the places where you can move yourself around and what to expect. As a person who was just going through it, going through the motions, not having a guide and not having played it before, um, how is more of like getting closer to 20 hours, especially with all the deaths? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I died a lot. <laughs> yep. Gordon Freeman was my Gordon Freeman was not meant to save the world. <laughs> so he's very fragile. He's, he's fragile. Yeah. I mean, he's a nerd, right? He looks like, he looks like the quintessential nerd. He's tall, skinny goatee glasses. You don't know that cause you never see him, but that's what he looks like. <laughs> The MIT graduate, isn't he? Or sorry, yeah, PhD. Yeah, he was a PhD right out of MIT and uh, knows his way around a gun very well. When yeah, I already had switched like, it. <laughs> I, I must say, he took to that like a duck to water. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, going back to it. Um, and so what they did was that, was, that was their big thing. They were like, let's have fun with physics. I think, um, you know, kind of like the WASD thing. And I'll, we can we can take this and run with it if you want to, but I think Valve like defines its games by how it plays with physics, and that all starts oh, yeah. with Half Life, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> if you can see it and you're like, I wonder if I could do that, you probably yeah. can. <laughs> right. Right. It's like the <laughs> successful version of what Trespasser, Jurassic Park Trespasser, was trying to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know that's most notable with stuff like throwing crates at enemies to like slow them down. Or, um, you know, those creatures that grab you and, and suck you and pull you up to their gaping maws. Um, right, the first yeah. time you throw a grenade and it hits one of those and it eats the grenade, like, that's always fun. Um, well, it's like you can, you can lure NPCs into them as well, which is, I always thought was quite fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just tossing a flare at a group of, of, of guys with head crabs on their heads. Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like... They just really do a lot with it. And I think they define that in Half-Life, right? Like that's mm. where that stems from. And then you can even, can't you pick up the pieces once you destroy it? Like your main weapon's a crowbar. 
right? And and mm-hmm. I, I yes, know that yeah. that was the main weapon in other games. We don't have to delve into them, but the whole idea is they want you to break stuff and throw it around. <laughs> yeah, it's like the fragments of the box. Like when you, at least the bits of it, you could like you pick them up again. And just, <laughs> there's a lot. Of, you can spend a lot of time just messing around in Half Life, which is quite part of the charm of it, really. Um, uh huh. <laughs> and it definitely explains the concept of like Gary's mod, right? Like that's where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, but, yeah. and again, I, I don't think we need to say this really, but just to remind everybody who was like, why is this a big deal? Like in 98, nobody was doing this. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I was sort of, um, I was, I was thinking actually is the, you know, like it's small little things like say using the crowbar to smash the bottom of the window so you can progress through the level. It, it doesn't sound like a lot to maybe a younger audience, but that was quite huge back in the day. It was like, yeah. Or, like, or, you know, yeah. Oh no, no. Continue. I was going to say, oh well, yeah, you know, like navigating through the, um, you know, the air ducts and things like that, or, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and I guess the biggest part was, as we just sort of alluded to is coming up with these kind of weird solutions to problems. Like there was, there was sometimes <laughs> multiple ways to solve it. <laughs> there like, are uh, times where I had to, normally when I get stuck in a game and I have to figure it out, I'm like, oh, screw you. Especially with like Duke Nukem is very guilty of this. Yeah. Um, and some of the designers over at like, uh, 3d realms and, um, Oh, the other the other group that kind of works side by side with that, um, you know, did come to Valve. Valve poached a lot of people from like Shiny, from 3D Realms, from I wanted to say Microprose and stuff like that. And and Sierra is who ended up publishing Half Life, um, mm-hmm. which is probably why we saw it. I think they did the same with um, Deus Ex, which is why we see it on PS2, in my opinion. Um, but like like for comparison to what's out there right now, like on the on the console gaming front you're competing with like metal gear solid which has Mm. pre-rendered environments basically resident evil 2 um the closest thing to a fully 3d environment is ocarina of time and it hardly has the interactability of this now granted these are not pc games the pc really took it and ran with it but like you know, you've got Bungie's Myths Myth Two. You've got Unreal coming out for the first time. You've got, um, you know, there's just uh, oh, uh, Shogo. You know, Monolith just gets started mm. at mm. this point. Tribes is just hitting, and I think what what I take from this when you look at this list is less of like what Half Life did that was special. Because it did a lot of things that were special, and you can see them in games today. But really, think of the games I just listed there on the PC front. All of these games were influential. This is like the golden age of creating what is the modern-day first-person shooter. And modern-day shooters are just taking little bits of all of these ideas, right? Can you even lend online hardcore multiplayer to anyone but tribes, right? At at first blush, right? And then like the physics and things like that and WASD and all this stuff, like this all comes from Half-Life for the first time. And then horror and environmental storytelling, like this is a damn scary game. Like, oh yeah, that's it's good moments. Yeah. More so than, I think it's more so than like resident evil two. Um, mm. resident evil two might be a more fun game for me if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. but I can see the reverse for a lot of people. <laughs> so, uh, and you just had to be there, I guess. But, uh, but like, yeah, it's, it's very impressive. And one of the things I've noticed now that I've been playing around a lot with VR is Half-Life does a really good job for scale. When big things come out, you feel like they're big. Uh, yes. I don't often feel that in a game most of the time. 
Well, that's wasn't that one big one of the big another big thing of this game uh, for PC gaming is didn't it incorporate some sort of sound system like new sound card type thing that made it more atmospheric? That's I a go. good point. I didn't think about it, but I will say in seven point one, you know, uh, again, I don't know what has changed with Black Mesa, but let me try to look into that. But that wouldn't surprise me yeah. at all. There's some um, sort of, I think they had they had two options in the sound. This is something I'm I'm, I'm just re- remembering off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly, but the um, you had the standard sound as you did with most PC games, but there's something, there's some sort of enhanced version you could get with this sure. with this game um, that was supposed to bring some of the, you know, the moments to life, like you know, like those big monster bits, or even some of just like the, you know, the atmosphere, like there was more echo when you're in when you're in uh-huh. some of the lab bits and stuff. Um, yeah, like when you, I remember that from even playing the original one, where when you enter areas, it would really like you would you would change based off of where you were, if you were in a basement or if you were in yeah. like outside in the desert, because you end up outside in the desert for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and stuff like that. But needless to say, uh, everything about this is let me borrow an old word: immersion. Right, the yeah. whole idea is to make you feel like Gordon Freeman, and they go out of their way where they're like talking to you, the silent protagonist, which of course is made fun of nowadays but at the time it was necessary for what they're trying to pull off um actually fun fact one of the hardest things they had to figure out because quake didn't do it was how to make the mouths move (laughs) yeah of course yeah right like that that was one of the big takeaways from the e3 demo in 98 right before the game came out was they've got they're talking to you gordon freeman right like the the infamous (laughs) you know (laughs) and you see the mouths move right like that was nobody else did that and that's a little touch that went a long way um Mm -hmm. but but yeah and and it's all there it's all there and it's all um and again with the environmental storytelling so to to that point you know Real quick, we don't have to dwell on it, but let's talk about the tram session. The very beginning of this is you are completely yeah. unarmed, like you would be if you were just some nerd from MIT going to work in a research lab, you know, three stories underground. You get on your tram after your security guard, you know, your babysitter drops you off, and you get to tour Black Mesa as you're going into it, right? Mm. They tell you nothing, and you see all kinds of crazy stuff going on. <laughs> and I don't know about you, Jam, but like, even knowing nothing about this game, I was like, I'm going to be coming back through all of this. Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you, you just, you know that's what they're about to do, right? Because that is what the first third, I guess I would say, of Half-Life is. You go down into the bowels, <laughs> you release the big bad, and then you have to fight your way out of it. <laughs> you even see a helicopter, I think, at the beginning, which always feels mm-hmm. like foreshadowing for, for a certain annoying battle. Like, so uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. But, oh, yes. That... Um, Mm. Um, yeah, that one I didn't dig. Uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, I, am I, am I correct? You're talking about this scene where you're dropping bombs. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, that, that bit as well, but there's also in them um, when you, when, I think it's called surface tensions, the section where you, you kind of come across the military, you, you can optionally take out a helicopter if you want to, it's on the bridge oh, bit. Really? So but I think you can skip it. It's not compulsory, but it's, it's one of those things that when I first played, I assumed you had to take it out, but you don't. <laughs> so, gotcha. but. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. And in black Mesa, maybe they do a little bit better of telegraphing it because they know, right. They have the hindsight. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other thing I thought about uh, just because it's such a brutal scene for me is um, and yeah if we haven't mentioned it yet spoilers I think we're way beyond that I probably oh, yeah, should remember yeah. to do that in the future but every episode of this we're going to spoil stuff <laughs> um, 
But uh, there's a scene where you've got those scientists right before you get to the Lambda area. Uh, it's mm. basically the back of the, I call it the second third of the game. And do you remember where they're like, oh, we're not going to move forward. We need you to go secure the front. And they like lock you in this open atrium. And then a helicopter comes overhead and just cascades of army guys drop yep. in on you. <laughs> and then when you're done with them, they open a door just to your right and even more come out. And then while they're busy, more guys get dropped off on the roof. Oh, that scene. That yep. scene took me a while. Um but yeah, yeah, the, you definitely start to see all of this. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting. It doesn't surprise me as much, but I wonder how surprising it would have been back in 98. I don't know when you first played this game. Oh, wait, you said like probably when it came out in 2001. Yeah, that, that, <clears throat> that's when I first played Half-Life. But I did, um, when I played on PC first time, it was actually when I obtained my first um, laptop, my first only laptop, Um for when I went, I, was, I think I was my second year of university, and it was it was like it was a laptop that had like the whatever the weakest graphics card was at the time that was good enough to play Half Life on. So one. that would have been two thousand five, <laughs> maybe. So it wasn't long after. Oh, okay. So it was, um, and that, that that's an interesting story behind that because um, I picked up what was called the Half Life anthology, um, which oh, had all yes. of all of them, including um, so it had Half Life count, um, well not Counter Strike. Um, what you call it opposing force and blue shift on it mm-hmm. um but it came with this other thing when i put it in this i was assuming you just put the dvd in the in the computer and it worked and you play it like the old pc games that i used to play back in the yeah. day that's how long it i've been out of pc game for but it, it told me to sign up to this thing called steam <laughs> so <laughs> it should be noted that steam was not originally a requirement but yes it would become one if you would buy a pc version after yeah what 2005 ish yeah and it's because of that reason that I, to this day, have a, what's it called on my Steam page? Like a 17 years of service because I was one of those. Ah, yes. like, yeah. yeah, you're one of the, you're one of the first. Much yeah, to you the supported Valve my from the beginning. Because <laughs> he's a huge diehard PC gamer and that still annoys him to this day that I have that. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Um, well, and so here's my question. Did it surprise you that... Um, uh yeah because steam hits in 2004 but did it surprise yeah. you that the government was out after you right because it sure surprised the scientists oh the government's here to help us right it, right near the end of the first third right you're just about to get out of the facility and you're like oh the government's gonna hear and come here and help us and you see them you get separate like you're you're blocked off in a room right they purposefully lock you out and then yeah, the right. the army comes in and just just destroys those scientists just Basically, loads them up pretty brilliant yeah and then they open the door and you get to like wade through the bloodbath right that's very clever style stuff and and it, did that surprise you that that you were not only fighting the aliens but now you got to fight the government as well <laughs> it, it was initially because um when because i think the first time you encounter them is just when that there's that there's that little scene um with the scientist banging on the window and then and then the the security guard's getting caught by the the, head, the zombie head crab in the bed oh, which is right, quite amusing yeah. and then you go through that bit and then the first thing that happens is you see you see some torrents after that and you don't think they're hostile mm-hmm. until you then you go into the laser beam and then suddenly it's like oh my you know oh crap <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. yeah that's a fun area that did i wasn't surprised yeah i hate it i never liked the turrets i figured out how to fight them but i always hated them i think you're supposed to half-life didn't it because i was in the second one as well (laughs) yes yes they do make an illustrious return and you know what just in case you hadn't had enough of them 
portals there to back you up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but, but yeah. And, and, and so one thing that I will say is um, when they develop this game, and this is kind of why I I feel like a lot of this game, um, there, there's always something going on. You always have a goal. I don't know, in my opinion, that my 2021 brain is very pleased with how they, explain those goals sometimes like well what am i supposed to be doing and where am i supposed to be going and Mm, where am i supposed i got stuck at least three times where i had to look it up um Mm. the the thing that eluded me um was this 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 kind of links to the the was d is um is the the infamous crotch jump which i didn't kind of this is like a half-life staple wasn't it you know where you have to you 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 jump and crouch oh okay yeah sorry i thought you were talking about jumping at something's crotch and i was like i don't (laughs) remember this scene uh was that in zen (laughs) (laughs) yes yes no no the yeah the the uh, the crouch jump yes 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 but that, that, that's because I mean that that's where I got stuck originally, um, badly actually in Half Life because there was I like, just there's this sort of jump that there are a few jumps in this game that you mm-hmm. have to do that the only way you can do them is through this um, thing. You are sort of taught it in the tutorial, but usually you've forgotten by the time you're supposed to use it. (laughs) That is a a thing that Half-Life and many games of that era did. They talk to you and they're like, okay, remember this move. We will bring it up again in three hours. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. And you do get stuck. In fact, I think when I first played this on PS2, it's about an hour in, you do have to jump into a vent with that jump. And I Mm. didn't know how to do it. And I didn't think about it. And I just didn't know where to go. I'm stuck in this room. I can't leave. I can't go anywhere. I don't know what to do. Um, For me, the biggest time I got stuck where I was like, oh, screw you, was you take out the big thing with the uh, the big... um, you blast a rocket and kill this thing with, with which has big antenna, or like big arms that, that are like almost like praying mantis arms. They're green oh, yeah, and crush yeah, yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And you have to go power up everything and then you blast the rocket and kill it. And then you jump into the silo. And at the <laughs> bottom is just a revolver, like your your hand cannon, your Barry Burton mm-hmm. hand cannon. And then you're like, where do I go? And you actually <laughs> have to like swim to the bottom of the thing and then move to go this to little like up. lip and then come back up. You're doing a little weird movement. And when I figured that out, I was like, oh, screw you. Like, what? What? Um you know, and but for every one of those, there's this awesome scene just before that. You turn on the power and a fan goes, right? And you leap out, and then you don't know how to get back up, and you're oh, like, yeah. I have to yeah. jump into this fan. The van. And you do, and you float. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we all float down here. Um, but, like, <laughs> yeah. but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a really cool scene because it is a leap of faith. Granted, there was quick save, but there, it was a leap of faith. You're like, I'm either going to get chopped up or float. And when you float, it is a good feeling. And this game is chock full of sequences like that, where you're like, is this going to suck or is this going to be great? Um, and uh, and again, I think that comes from uh, their design was, uh, they called it the Cabal. And it was a bunch of people who were like masters at certain crafts, like somebody who was good at environments, somebody who was good at um, level design, somebody who was good at um, sound design, somebody who was good at enemy placement, things like that. And they were the problem was there was a lot of ego clashing, but they would get together and they'd play through a level. They'd have a tester play through a level and they'd watch the tester without being present in the room and take a bunch of notes and talk about what they needed. Where they would struggle is... 
you know, if, if it took too long, the person, you know, the person who's the level designer goes, oh, well, we need to tighten up the level. But the enemy placement guy wanted to put a bunch of enemies and da 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 And that's why the game still struggles in certain areas. Mm. But I do think it comes out being a pretty decently, like, the again, the pacing's good. It's just very long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, aside from, like, things that you can't avoid, like how long the game is and... Um, the difficulty spikes, which we can we can delve into in a minute, um, or or things like that, things you just cannot avoid from this time period. Um, you just go, uh, you know. Um, uh, sorry, one sec. Ah, <laughs> uh, the joys of distractions. Okay, we're back. We're back. We're recording. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm normally doing these in the middle of the night when I'm left alone, which that has its own benefits, but I think I'm sharper right now doing it during the day. So, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, y- there are certain things that are just of its time. And I think that's what those are. Um, but there are other parts where you're like, yeah, I, I like, I don't think this game has any real downtimes, right? Um, no, not really. It's just, it's just on <laughs> constantly. Right. It's always, yeah, it's always at full alert. Like next, every time you walk into a new area, you're like, it's quiet for a minute and then it <laughs> yeah. goes down. Right. <laughs> and they always have that fun, awesome, like get you pumped up music. Right. That, oh, yeah, that yeah, he's in all cool. the time. Right. Like mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I think they do a really good job with that. And, and I don't know about you, but it makes me kind of feel like, like you're like, Oh man, I just survived that. And then you're like, but I survived that. I am Gordon Freeman. Bring it on monsters. Like that is kind of how I enter the next area when I hear that music. I don't know why, but, um, I don't know. Do you like, and so that's kind of, that is in a nutshell, kind of how they develop the game and and kind of put it together. And so you can kind of see the proof in the pudding. Um, you want to talk about the difficulty spikes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the obvious ones really is, is particularly when the military comes. That one is it, it, <laughs> just so the the way the game works is um it, this is very traditional as well, where you've got your kind of like your armor and your health. No, so no regeneration at all. It's a hundred, you say up to a hundred of each. Uh, well, the armor is what it's the hazmat suit, isn't it? Yes, so it doesn't it just protect you against. Up, yeah. um, <laughs> It doesn't just protect you against gunfire. It's also like, you know, because there are bits where you need to have it sort of semi-charged up to like withstand freezing temperatures and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's quite, it's only like a tiny bit of the game, but um, there's like- It can yeah, help you with flames as well. Yeah. Um, and then actually, while you mention this, um, whenever you're near uh, chemicals, and you will be, uh, hazardous mm-hmm. chemicals, radioactive chemicals, uh, the Geiger counter goes off. Yes, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And for, so. Yeah, for PC gamers, I'm sure you guys are used to Stalker and all this stuff, so that's a normal sound for you, which I'm, I'm totally laughing because I know a Geiger counter is just not a normal sound for anybody. <laughs> but if you've played Fallout, you have this trigger of like, oh my God, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. <laughs> and so it takes you a while when you're playing Half-Life, unless you're standing in sewage. Mm. you'll hear that Geiger counter to warn you not to jump in there, but nothing's actually happening to you. But my hairs on the back of my neck still stand up. It's like when Sonic's drowning, I can't (laughs) not get on edge. Right. And there's that, there's that area. um, We can talk about it later. So I'm just going to mention it um, where you do a lot of fun platforming. There's like almost no enemies and it's just a bunch of, I found it fun. I'm sure a lot of people are annoyed by it, but the fun platforming through all the machinery, right? And there's different hazards and whatnot. And you'll deal with that a lot where you're, you're dabbling with radioactive chemicals all the time. (laughs) So, but yes, the hazmat suit does assist in that as well. But 
ultimately, it's armor, right? It is the replacement yeah. for armor. But the reason this the difficulty goes high is that the armor is very rare to come by in the game. Often, mm-hmm. so there's, there's there's long periods that you you just you just have health. That's it. So, yeah, and even health is it's way more readily available. But even mm-hmm. that's kind of sparse at times. It is, yeah. The, the you got you got this kind of like two where you got the med kits that just died on the floor, but then you might have those you know the things on the wall like the um, uh, which is something that the PS2 actually kind of upgrades compared to the PC version. You know, it's like the med centers because mm-hmm. in the PlayStation 2 version, a syringe literally comes out. And oh, sticks nice. in, which is really cool. Which, and those only have, really like. those have seventy five. Both the the power yeah, it'll right, give you up yeah. to seventy five power, and you see the bar go down. Right, you can come back to it later if you mm-hmm. want to like save some. <laughs> Uh, is it still 75 for both of those when you find the wall units in uh, in the PS2 version? I think yeah, I think it's 50 for the medical and 75 oh. for the armor, definitely. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's a little different. Um, and maybe Black Mesa changed it. So I don't know if that's mm. how the original Half-Life was. Uh, I didn't pay enough attention. Um, but let's also address the elephant in the room. Army guys can take a lot of hits yeah, before they God. go down because they are armed <laughs> military with armor. <laughs> Um, and their shots do a lot of damage. I remember sneaking up on two army guys with a shotgun, right? Any Call of Duty player, this is an old trick. (laughs) Try that in Half-Life. You will not come, you might live that encounter, but you will be way down in health and you can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, you learn very quickly. You have to be extremely tactical and precise about hitting army people and distance yep. shooting. Even though you can zoom in from a distance and you can hit people, they take far more hits that it's like, Oh yeah. You, you yeah. got to kind of have that medium range, right? Where you're not close enough to take a lot of in the face stuff, especially from a shotgun, but mm. you can't do it from a distance because they'll do way more damage with way more precision on you than you will on them you'll be weeding down the guy's health. I, at least that was my experience. You'll be weeding down the guy's health too much. Um, mm. You kind of got to do like a- aggro ambush tactics. But again, your precision is very important in this game. Your ability to hit your target, um, ideally in the head for the army people, um, yep. Yep. With, with a degree of speed and precision is key. And when you get to the later parts, just before Zen in the basement of the Lambda um, complex, that becomes very problematic and then you also get those i don't even know if they're females but they have a more sleek body you get those sexy spies with the uh silence pistols that are like in wetsuits like i don't know what exactly is going on but it's like the like if it's sam fisher um they have like no body fat uh (laughs) it's a very and no muscle either they're just very sleek agile um yeah like assassins basically and uh, don't F around with them. They may have silenced pistols, but they will mess you up. Mm-hmm. Like, very much so. So, But yes, those spikes are significant. Um, Save off them. <laughs> yeah, because you might have to repeat an entire area. Um, uh, if only so that you don't have to be so low on health when you enter it, right? Like, be a little careful about your quick saving, though. Like, make sure it's a safe moment. Like, I have to do a status yeah, yeah, check. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, armor, health, what's in the room? Okay, I'm going to go. Um, but uh, 
But on that subject, also, as time goes on, enemies that weren't as much of a problem for you become more problematic. And the first one I can think of is, I don't know what they're called, but I call them the acid gators. The, the <laughs> things that walk around and hurl acid at you. Yeah, yeah. Later on, you need to be able to take those guys out before they even really see you. Otherwise, they will get you backed in a corner and they can take just a ridiculous amount of damage and they do a ton of damage to you later on. Um, granted, you've got like the crossbow and a lot more grenades, but those those enemies really up the A game as well. Um, so yeah, I I found that to be difficult up and until you really get into the military stuff though. The only thing that was kind of annoying was there's a lot of... Um, how do I say this? There, there's a lot of factors that weigh into um, some of those early bosses, like the tentacles that are coming out, where they crush you, that just, they, they don't do a really good job of conveying what's going on. Like, I didn't know that crouching down and walking would make you silent to them. Mm. Right? And so the tactic that I saw, it, the moment I watched the video, I was like, oh, of course, it makes so much sense, but I kept dying on it, was I would throw a grenade and I'd see the they give you a grenade, so obviously they want you to use it. I'd throw a grenade and I'd see them go for it, but then I didn't know. I thought I would maybe walk, so I'm walking real slow, but they know exactly where I am and they just come up and crush me. And it took me so long to figure it out. Uh, once I figured it out, I'm good, but I think they needed to do something a little better. Like, even if there was, there's a guard right there helping you at that moment. If you remember, he's like covered in boxes right before you get to the silo where the, there, he's like, there's this thing crushing people outside. <laughs> If he had like walked with you and like crouched down and like walked past it for like one small little, you know, between two doors or something on the same level, I think that would have been enough to just kind of like let you know. But as it stood, like it's it's hard to figure out. And maybe that was just par for the course back then. I can't remember. Like I was playing games back then, but I was playing more console stuff. I was literally just immersed in ps1 at this time so i didn't know what a good game was <laughs> in short because there was an awful lot i wasn't playing rpgs on the ps1 so i was playing an awful lot of trashy action games uh, if i'm being honest um but uh the second difficulty spike i think comes with zen would you agree there? Yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> so i've been talking a lot so i've been talking a lot and you beat the you've beaten this game i think at least twice so do you yep, want to tackle yep. what the big difference is with Zen and, and even, you know, I mean, that's, that's the alien world. You actually go to the alien yeah. world when right. you finally find the, the, the portal. Um, yeah. Why don't you take a couple minutes to just kind of talk about Zen? Yeah. It's, it, Zen's sort of the, I think it's, it's not surprising that this is where a lot of people say is usually where they stop playing the game. It's not because it's bad. It's just because it's a very, it's a, such a different departure from what, the rest of the game is where you know you're exploring this facility and it and it, you know, all the the different areas of this facility and then suddenly you go into this it, it doesn't have the best starting point is what i think that's the main trouble with zen <laughs> is it, it you kind of you kind of in those you, you start really high there's all these platforms it's a small platforming section where you have to jump from bit to bit to bit but then once you get to like another teleporter at the bottom it is boom straight into a boss fight with this mm. I, I guess the testicle monster is what most people that call is, it. Yeah, he's got a big <laughs> bean bag underneath it. Which Think of like well a crab spider <laughs> hybrid with a bean bag, a fleshy bean bag under him. <laughs> Which is very well animated for the time, for the time uh -huh. I'll say. <laughs> yep, and they put new jiggle physics on it in Black Mesa if you yeah, haven't played through yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> so you can watch that bean bag just kind of drape in the wind like a... There's no other way to look at it. It is... It is... Uh, 
it is a male testicle. Like there's, I'm sorry, it just acts like one. Um, it's such a brutal boss fight though, because is and this is obviously again comes from the territory of no hints. You don't know, you don't really know how you you, you don't know how you if you're harming it or not. Cause it's not very clear. Um, and it's it's a multi boss fight. Like yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So essentially, the trick is is, is you got to just wear it down eventually, and then it goes through like another bit. You go keep going through these gates, but it'll break it down. So you can't really kill it per se. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of can, you can technically at the end, but um, it's actually a bit. If if you, if you've seen footage of it, you can actually skip the. If you if you get, I think it's the third part of the boss fight. You can actually just blow the floor up and just go through the teleporter without defeating it. Oh, okay, <laughs> that may, I could but, see where you would do that. But you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to sort of shoot um, the boss from below this time because you're right at the mm-hmm. bottom and it's above you and it's sort of so it's like the final bit and then it drops down and then it explodes the floor so that you can get to the next bit basically but yeah this is this yeah. is the bit that god this took me so many attempts well, and, no and, and we should point out that his moves are the most annoying moves in mm-hmm. half-life all put together he's got the acid spit from the crocodile guys i'm talking about yeah. he i think he can launch uh, are those head crabs or are those they're, they're adjacent? Like they just run around and scratch you up with small amounts of damage, but they're it's like little head crabs. It spawns. They're and stuff, rampant. So. And then he'll charge at you, which is yeah. not. <laughs> so we should point out right before you get to Zen, you learn the speed charge, right? It allows you to basically run at full speed. So you can do large platforming jumps, which Zen will test you on constantly. <laughs> um, but also you can use it to like, start to avoid things, but I wasn't used to controlling, and let me tell you how this is with a gamepad where you've got to click twice in the same direction. Um, it's it's different, and you're not used to the bullfight because it does emulate a bullfight in many ways where you just kind of dodge yeah. at the last minute, right? And this was, I see this in a lot of even like um, late 2000s PC games from people who like kind of grew up with Half-Life, right? Uh, I was playing through a game called Legendary recently, which is a 360 PC game. <laughs> and there's this Minotaur character and they don't give you the tools you need to properly play a bullfight with him. But of course, that's how the mechanics work. Yep. And I'm sure they would argue they give you those mechanics, but they don't. Like there's no run strafe to the side. So it's kind of awkward. And this boss is like one of the only times where you really have to flex those muscles. And I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's just got a regular attack also that's a pain in the butt. And it just does so much damage. Like it isn't for each hit, but he can hit you so effectively so many times. Yeah, it doesn't take long before it wears you down. And and again, there's like I think there's only health in this section. There's no armor. There's the armor you brought with you. (laughs) It's 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 one of those ones that yeah, you're gonna be quite quick saving this one regularly. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, 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 I. and then once you, yeah, you know, once you, because that this that, this to me is a very make it or break it bit for people that because people I think everyone were at least attempted Zen, but this is the bit where some people just shut off. I think, and then if I feel like now it, people know that Zen's like hated. Um, and yeah, for the record, yeah. if you just want to visualize what we're talking about, Zen is spelled X E N, and um, mm. and it looks kind of like uh, the Avatar planet at night. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, and especially in Black Mesa, where everything's nice and glowy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, um, it's not a nice contrast because it, it's and it certainly hasn't aged well either with how it looks. It's the the the, the they couldn't really quite. 
maybe Black Mesa does it better, but the old version, it just it doesn't it just doesn't feel as distinct as the you know, I mean, dare I say it's been like grey and it's all concrete and grey and boring lads, but it felt very laboratory like in the um sure. first section. Well there pathway. are areas that jumped out, right? Like like mm-hmm. the chemicals or lava. They they go through different areas that were age old ways to colorize a game. And they do it pretty effectively in Half-Life, even though you're in cold, sterile environments most of the time. Zen's like lush and alive and a little, to me, it's almost, this is, it's the GoldenEye problem. The environment's almost a little too good for its. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of putting it, actually, is that I I just don't think that, it feels very much like it's tacked on at the end, which is. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody was working on Zen and he was like, oh, screw it. And like the testers were like, I hate this area. And they're like, we need to go to the alien planet. We have to kill the big bad at the end. There's no way around this. (laughs) <laughs> which spoilers you kill a big bad at the end that is yeah, yeah. the uh, thing generating the portal that's kind of how this is significantly comes easier than the other yes one. <laughs> right it's suddenly uh i'm trying to think of it reminds me of like the gears 2 last boss right you're like oh yeah. i'm just supposed to shoot this thing as i sit still i was kind of pissed off that i was so close to finishing this game mm. and then I didn't, and then I was like, oh, I bet this last boss battle is just brutal, and it's not. <laughs> not really, no. But, uh, but the other thing, having, I only played, I, I could not beat um, the testicle boss. That's where I got stuck. So I'll just be straightforward about that. Um, but uh, Black Mesa tries to redesign the levels to make it a little more digestible, but it's all still there. Um, yeah, the, yeah. the rush of enemies you don't know are coming is still there. The booby trap enemies of sorts where you wander into areas you don't even need to be and then you get killed by like, like I said, booby trap enemies. They just jump out yeah. of nowhere and do a bunch of damage cause it just because it hates you. <laughs> the weird platforming stuff, they felt it necessary to keep it all in there. So the little... Uh, that you got to be precise about like the run jump, like the dash jump yeah, and yeah, on these little pillars. And you're like, I... Didn't like this in Mario 64. I like it less here. Um, it's hard on the first person shooter as well. It's, mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit. Um, yeah, there's also all those Mirror's like, Edge people who thought that that mm-hmm. didn't do a very good job of platforming in first person. Why don't you come play Half Life? Tell me what you think. <laughs> Another awkward thing I remember is the remember jumping off ladders was a pain in the backside, mm-hmm. isn't it? So they fixed this, I think, in Half in in Black Mesa. Black Mesa there yeah. is a tether to the ladder button. That's better, yeah. Because there's 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 so many moments in this game um, where you're you're climbing a massive ladder, and there's and if you fall off it, you're dead because there's a big <laughs> enormous drop below you. Um, we went for ten years though with games like this in PC, like much, right. Yeah. How many times did you come to a ladder? You you've just bl- obliterated an an amazing group of enemies and come out on top. You get to a ladder and you're like, oh shit! How <laughs> do I climb a ladder? Yeah. <laughs> Like, how often that happened in PC games? And even to a certain extent in console games, I think they were just less likely to do it. In Black Mesa, I don't know what the button is on the keyboard, but you just press X and you literally see Gordon snap to the ladder. And then until you press X or jump again, you just up and down the ladder. And so I think that's very well done, um, in my opinion. Great, like, little just quality of life jump. Um, No pun intended, but... uh, (laughs) But yeah, Zen, I, I I do think people try to, you know, force their way through Zen because now it's like notorious, right? It's well known. Mm. Oh, you're going to hate Zen. So now our counterculture has got to be like, oh, no, I won't. 
here I go. Here's me making Zen fun again. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so um, is there anything more to it? I kind of watched some gameplay video and uh, like I came so close to the end of this game and then I, I just didn't, I was just done. And I didn't want to do like a cheat code where I just, you know, pulled up the console mm-hmm. and got unlimited life. I just felt like that was no better than watching a YouTube video. So, um, but uh, but it, it is just, it's the home stretch and it's rough um, in my opinion. Like it just, and it's cool. It's, it's one of the coolest environments to view. And especially in Black Mesa, they put a lot of actual nuanced touches to it, but yeah, I, it was always pretty good. I watched some footage of it in Half-Life originally, and it was always pretty like active and, and, and stark contrast to the rest of the game uh, visually, but uh, very atmospheric, but it just, the gameplay didn't match the, uh, the environments. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's the trouble. Um, and that run up to that last boss, this is between the two boss fights. Really, is it that they really sort of um, just dial up the 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 platforming? Just um, oh, oh, okay. So it just lots, keeps lots going sort of, with the platforming, huh? I, I, I think it's just uh, especially after the um, yeah, the big testicle monster, you, you, you're a bit tired, should we say? You're like, oh gosh, <laughs> can't we just be done with this now? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> and I did. That was where I, I, I think I yeah. literally audibly, I talked to my video games a lot. I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I get it, you know, mm. but. Um, it's, it's not terrible. It's just, um, no. I think it's just, it, it, you know, I think a lot of it, I, I always put it down to, it's just because the rest of it's so good. Is that it's so, it, it really, it's, it's easy to point to that bit and go, yeah, that's the, that's the slight niggle here. <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, I do want to say there is, uh, so there's an area in the middle of the game, like dead center of the game. Um, Mm. I know it's broken into chapters. I just didn't take the time to remember the chapters. If I'm being honest, um, they don't number them like they do in like a walkthrough. They give like you enter a new area and there's like a little subtitle that'll pop up. It'll say like anomalous materials. I think that's the right. First and it's one like it's like cheeky, right? Like it's yeah. it, it, it's self aware. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a wink and a nod. There, we should point out there is a um, a well known author that that penned this uh, um, this story. So. Um, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head because I'm a horrible person. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, and so, so they, but yeah, there's like, I think when the army starts showing up, right. Isn't one called like complex negotiations or something. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, they're shooting at me. Um, but, uh, there's a, a sequence that I found kind of frustrating where you fight an awful lot of enemies. Uh, I, I, I remember a scene that looked like it was straight out of kill zone. Do you remember when you enter this open area and there's like two pillars on the left and right you can't get to right away and Mm. there's like doorways there and then across the way is um just like a staircase going up to like a big wide open area that's where you'll later get on an elevator and then um just below you is a staircase that just goes down to like an open area and it's like this weird interwoven connected series of bunkers and they put like just like 20 army guys around there and then when you're done with that you do an elevator thing where like zombies are fighting army guys and so you go up and of course the elevator's broken so you like go down the elevator with your little tram cart and then you fight your way back up to the top and then you've got to ride the elevator back down. It's all kind of frustrating and I didn't really dig it and it was very difficult uh, for me at least. And I was very displeased with how the shotgun was very inaccurate. I felt it was far more accurate on Zen, but maybe I was just getting better at the game. Um, 
But then after that, there's this pretty long train car sequence you do in the under catacombs and whatnot. Um, basically, right after you kill that big monster, but you do the train car for a little bit, and then you go over and do these army men things, and then you do a lot of train car sequences. And I found that whole train car stuff to be a lot of fun. Mm, like, yeah, I really yeah, enjoyed I that area. Do you? Like, I don't know if that's widely popular area, but I really dug it. Yeah, well, there's uh, yeah, the tra- that, that yeah, that little train car bit was a lot of fun. Um, there's, there's a lot of bits in the early sections of um, Half Life, and even well, even just uh, a lot of bits before Zen that were just quite intriguing. You mentioned one earlier, which was the um, that platforming section where you're kind of going through like a little factory area where oh, you're going yeah. through like mm-hmm. these conveyor belts, and I don't know that that I just that that was strangely quite entertaining for uh, considering we we're just uh, complaining about platforming sections but you know you're going through all these different <laughs> layers whether it's like you've got those like crushing machines you got to flip the switches so that you get it in the right order so that you can pass through easily and uh-huh. then there's um i don't know that it's it's not when i it, in terms of there's not a lot to the platform here, but I guess it's about moving at the right time. There's something kind of fun about getting through that in one piece. Uh, yeah, so. well, because you've been fighting all these army guys and all these aliens. This is after the train car and stuff. Like, it's actually pretty late in the game. It's, again, it's uh, it's right before you get to the Lambda, Lambda complex, which is when you go to Zen. Um but uh, but it's it's really funny because first of all, in the background, it's like an Acme factory right out of Looney Tunes. Mm. Like I, you expect a band to come out and just na 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 na, like as you're going through, and you're just fighting all these creatures before this point, and then you're like a meat grinder, a meat grinder. What am I gonna do? The conveyor belt's pushing me to it. Like it's what just what does Black Mesa have in this in his place? Right, like like it's just funny because you basically end up in the meat packing plant. Right, it's it's mm. somewhat akin but way more. Complicated complex than like for a pop culture reference than like in episode two where uh star wars episode two when um padme and uh and anakin are like wandering through the bot factory right and trying to Mm. avoid all these problems like half-life is like the the ultimate version of that concept and and they do a good job with it actually sometimes like figuring out where to go next was a little um complicated shall i say um but i'm pleased to say only like Three times, like I said, in the game and none in this area would I get stuck to the point where I was like, I need to look up a walkthrough or a video to just figure out where the heck to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, again, it's varied gameplay. I'll give it that. And so it seems so long because I think games have gotten so short in the interim, but it, I don't think it was a long game for the time. Right, like no, no, it wasn't. It's, like especially um, a first-person shooter, Deus Ex, perfect comparison to that. Much longer, and in my opinion, I think it's much longer, or it's at least a little bit longer. And that's a first-person. Granted, it's an RPG more than a shooter, but it's still first-person game. Um, and God, I've never been good enough at Quake Two to tell you how long that is. I bet that's a long one. Yeah, um, it is. It, I, I can't. I wouldn't be able to put a number on it exactly, but it's a decent length, you know. Like, it's par for the course, I guess, for games yeah. of this time period. And Half-Life 2 is much longer, uh, not, not, not including the episodes. Like, I think Half-Life 2 is at least 25% longer. Mm. Um, again, they do some other new stuff, different podcast for that stuff. But uh, all in all, when you wrap the game in a bow, I get it. I also get why you might start this game and it puts a bad taste in your mouth, especially if you've not played it till now right yeah i think so yeah today yes like i can appreciate half-life i don't know that i really ever would want to play it again that said if you grew up with it and you played it the moment it came out i can't see why you wouldn't want to play it again 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, yeah. <laughs> like whenever I boot this game up, I usually play up to Zen and then stop there. <laughs> <It's> very <laughs> typical, right? Very typical. And the more you know about this game, the more you like you learn little things later on where you're like, oh, I could have activated that turret and let it take out all those things for me, right? And that's mm-hmm. something that Valve knows you're gonna learn the first time and then bring it to more playthroughs. We should point out that at this time period, much more so than today, and I don't know if that builds into game design nowadays or not but like half-life might be the only game you'd have for half a year a year yeah boy what a great game to have for a year right imagine playing half-life over and over again for a year it's it's not the torture it might sound like it's actually would have been a fantastic game back then you know even when i had on ps2 that was the only game i had for at least two months or something so yeah it's pretty big big deal for me so yeah and you wouldn't want it you want it to be that long you don't want to rush it and you know what you end up doing psychotic things like spending five hours trying to beat the testicle boss because you know there are tons of people who have that story from before the internet was widespread like America Online was around when Half-Life was there, but I don't think you were regularly hitting up guides. You might jump into a news group and hope somebody had posted a walkthrough in a text document, but that's about mm-hmm. it, right? Like, get good. That was how you got better at these games. <laughs> yeah, I, think my, I think my schedule at the time of PlayStation 2 with Half-Life was that uh, you, you, you did your study. You did, I was at school. I would have been at school at the time, so I was doing my studies, um, you know, doing my homework or whatever assignments, and then I'd spend like an hour or two uh, before I went to bed playing it. Um, mm. And that's probably why I got so angry at Zen. It's probably because it was so fucking so effing hard. Because it, it's, it's not a good, it's not a good way to go to bed with is when you're getting frustrated with something you can't kill. <laughs> so. Oh no, I, I completely understand and. And I will say this game lends itself very good to small chunks. That is one thing. Yeah, even now, this game respects really your time good. way more than most games even today. <laughs> you can save anywhere, which really helps a lot. And you um, can really kind of jump in. Even after, like, like it gives you at least one room downtimes, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And it, almost like it knows, okay, if you got to quit right now, here you go. It does a really good job of dispersing those on such a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but we are at 75 minutes, so uh, I, at, at the risk of, um, of anything, I think we should start kind of wrapping up things. Um, I know some people would probably want us to jump into the expansions, but this is the very reason why we didn't call it the Half-Life Box episode. Um, <laughs> those are for a different day because there is... Uh, but if you want to talk about them very briefly, I do think we should mention that Half-Life lives on beyond its game yeah, it's- with the expansion. So there was... what were, uh, is Blue Shift the one that's uh, made by Gearbox that's um, solo yeah. to PS2? That was supposed to be the Dreamcast one, so it was never uh-huh. released on the. It wasn't released on the PS2. The PS2 got its own one. Uh, okay. That got um, the co-op campaign called Decay. Decay, um, that's which was, what it was. Um, okay. Which was later. Uh, I think there's a mod for it for PC now, so you can play that version if you want to too. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, the PC basically has mods for everything for Half Life. So yes, <laughs> yes, and actually, mods is the the next section I was going to do before we wrap yeah, up. So yeah. don't worry. <laughs> it's. Um, some people might be thinking, is it worth hunting down the PS2 version to play that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think if you if you are a PC gamer, no, um, it's not necessary. Because I'd say that's the reason I'm quite fond of that is for nostalgia reasons. Because I played it when I was younger. But um, right. you you probably only you only really want that version if you're. It's a bit like me, but it's a bit like my opinion of the Dreamcast version. If you're really die hard into the PlayStation 2 and you're just morbidly curious how that sort of stuff was on there, but the um, 
probably the best way to play this today if you are curious is just get the pc version it, it does more or less run on anything as well nowadays because uh -huh. it's it's because it is an old it's a very old game and um and um with all and this goes into what we're going to be talking about now is with all the mod support there's there's all sorts of quality <laughs> of life improvements if you need it so yeah you and black mesa's heavily moddable as well so you can yeah, very yeah. i think it is a source port so uh because it utilizes source port it can pretty much do any of those things um there were a couple of other um prior to um decay um there was uh opposing, opposing force. force that's it yeah opposing force now this one is right this is a first person expansion pack these yeah, this is single gear, player, aren't they? Yeah, this is Gearbox as well. They did this is the first one they did before Blue Shift, and then um, you play. Well, basically, essentially, you play as one of the army people. It's, it's a really mm -hmm. funny concept. I, I always love this concept. So this is this um, of, of the Half Life things is where you just play from a different perspective. Of right. Somebody in Black Meanwhile, <laughs> Me, exactly. Right, because didn't you say? I think you've talked to me about this, especially with Blue Shift, where that one is you play the perspective of a security guard yeah. who's stuck in all this, and uh, and isn't his name like Barney Fife? or something like yeah it's barney and yeah. the bit i like about that is um because if you play the original game you can actually see where all these people fit in like yeah. um he's the first security guard banging on the door at the beginning so that's uh -huh. the one you play as in that game and then um so i think good. opposing force is the only one that you don't necessarily meet him in the game but but even in um decay which is the co-op one you play as these two female doctors and they're basically it explains where the other two hazmat suits are. Because when you find a hazmat suit, there's two empty slots. There's two empty slots, yeah. That's, that's, that's who they're for. And, it's, and I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, they had never answered that question. And then when they're no. coming up with this idea, they're like, let's answer that question. That's genius, right? Like, I love that. Um, but yeah, and, and these were well-received as well. And so these expansions, uh, Opposing Force comes out the following year after its release. It comes out in 99, and then Blue Shift mm -hmm. is 2001. So it like kind of, you get kind of Blue Shift and Decay depending on your platform of choice in 2001 yep. to kind of remind you, oh, Half-Life's here. And it's because Half-Life 2 took so long. Half-Life 2 won't come out until 2004. And um, it will require Steam to play it. <laughs> So yep. there's that too. Um, so yeah, that's a different, uh, again, the, uh, what's the buzzword for this episode? It's a different topic for a different day. Um, but yeah, that's because Half-Life was just the genesis of so many influential parts of video gaming in a time period where both on consoles and in PC, like the late 90s is when we really started to figure out how we were going to navigate 3D gaming. And I think that's why it's so specific to all this, right? Like, you know, Z-targeting is happening in Ocarina of Time this year. And, um, you know, Resident Evil is figuring out the definitive version of its stuff. And <laughs> online shooters are figuring out where they need to go. Like, this is really where all this stuff is born. And it's so cool to look at, wow, right? Nice ones, really. yeah. Oh, man, doing a 1998 episode. It'd be 17 hours yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should do, like, maybe we'll do something where we do, like, you know, four episodes where we just take four influential games of 98 or something. But uh, here I am planning live on the air. It's not good. Um but yeah, that was really cool. And then just in case you needed more content and everybody was starved for more content because you've got large gaps in this stuff, <laughs> tons of fan-made mods. Um, the most notorious, of course, are the three that become, uh, well, four, I guess I would say, yeah, that become yeah. actual games. So here's the list. Counter-Strike, Day of Defeat. There was Sven Co-op, which I didn't even know about this. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Sven Co-op? 
No, but I, I've, I've familiar, I'm familiar with the name, but I didn't realize it was uh, as big a deal as it was. Yeah, so. people keep mentioning it. But anyway, mm. um, it was basically just like, yeah, it was a cool, uh, what is it? Yeah, it was a cooperative version. It was a 1999 cooperative oh. version, right? So it's Decay Before Decay. And it was notorious because he made enemies that were more clever. Oh. Right? <laughs> so, And you know what? I, I actually enjoy more clever enemy AI right? Like, um, one of the game series that will always stick with me just because it did it was the, um, Oh, why am I blanking on it? The Alma games, um, where you slow down time. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Monolith software does them. Um, somebody's time shifts. What time shifts. Uh, no, uh, no, no. hold on. Alma. Oh, fear, 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 fear. Sorry, yeah. fear, yeah. Force, <laughs> the, the acronym force extraction assault, what I'm, I'm destroying the name, but anyway, so half-life, uh, so yeah, that, that one was a big one. And then of course, who can forget team fortress, right? Like, yeah, and all of those would become, well, counter-strike and team fortress would become valve properties. They would actually, yeah, they in house. Yeah. um, but, uh, and there's a lot more where that came from Gary's mod, but I think that might've stemmed from half-life two. So yeah, that's a half-life two venture. So, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff. And, and my understanding is valve embraced that as they always have. Um, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, counter-strike to this day probably makes valve <laughs> yeah. more money than half-life ever did. <laughs> the esports style as well. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a big one. So um, but all in all, like you take all this information, whether you're taking the high level stuff we talked about or even the low level stuff, and you can see how, even if you don't like this game, it's less about the game nowadays and more just about what it represents. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, like, yeah. like yeah, it's, it, and, and again, my buzzword is culture, but just to really quickly sum up what I'm saying about that, it's like the identity that's established for this game and why you can say half-life and it just means something. Right mm. there, it means the last ninety minutes that we've been discussing this. Like, it's significant. So, um, and it lives on, you know. And yeah. this is why people are gnawing at the bit, right? You would get Half Life Two in two thousand and four, then we've got Episode One in what two thousand and five, and then Half Life Episode <laughs> or two thousand and six, and then Episode Two, which was supposed to be mm-hmm. Half Life Three, comes out in like. Right, two thousand and eight or nine with the orange box, and that came out on three sixty. Yeah, that came out. Yeah, it came deal. out together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it so ends on a cliffhanger because yep. yeah, that's a thing. And then everybody's like, "Where's Half Life 3? And you know, spoilers: Half Life Three is either actively in development after Half Life Alex has come out, which was the VR element yeah. that has recently hit the scene, or it's just never going to happen. And one thing that, you know, I think we should say is think about all these innovations that Half-Life had in it. Half-Life 2 may not have as many innovations, but it is similarly influential with a lot of new mechanics. Yes. Yeah. I'm that- wondering if Valve is hard-pressed to um, basically evolve the game at this point, because there's well, so many yeah. more people trying to do that now. I think that's probably the reason why they've never got to it is that I don't, I, I, and even if they did release, it, I don't think it would ever live up to anyone's expectations of it, to be honest. Um, you know, they can, they can give it a go, obviously, but if, you know, what, what, what exactly will you, what, you know, how are you going to make it as good as that moment going to the original half-life or, exactly. or, or half-life two? I mean, I'm, I'm not as, 
I, I was never as fond. Half Life Two, I, I, I respect what Half Life Two is and what it brought. Absolutely, it's more mechanical that game. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, to me, I think the heart, the first one was always still much more memorable than the second one. That's just my well, it is the but, Alien but, Aliens problem, right? Yeah, uh, Half Life One is a horror game. Half Life yeah, Two is yeah. an action game. Like basically, and yeah, so, which one do you yeah. prefer? I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, but uh, granted that scene where you're doing the really thin platforming underneath that bridge in Half-Life 2 had me scared oh, to death. Um, I, I don't have a fear of heights in, in the real world, but I do in video games a lot. And uh, that was, ugh. Um, but uh, but yeah, I and so, yeah, I don't know where they go with it. And you know, lots of people have said, um, uh, um, you know, immersive sim, Sure, but there are going to be people who don't want an immersive <laughs> sim, right? And and with all these people coming back to make like System Shock and whatnot, and who do you put on it? Maybe Valve doesn't want to do it. They get Arcane Studios to try their hand at it, right? Like I could see. I don't that think going, people would like that. Again, I just I just don't think. I don't know if people would. And so to mm-hmm. me, I almost wonder if Half Life needs to become multiple genres spread out over multiple areas, but then. It doesn't need yeah. to be Half-Life. And so, yeah, I, I almost feel like Half-Life lost its identity because time passed. Yeah, basically. And it, and it's just with how gaming is a sort of as a, a thing nowadays is so different <laughs> from when Half-Life 2 was last mm-hmm. there. Because like, there's so many gaming is bigger than it's ever been, obviously. The the audience for gaming is huge. And there's, but there's, I just, the... The way it used to be with the in '98 with Half Life, where it was a you know a PC gamer thing, it's it's just not because people would want it this to be on consoles, wouldn't they? They'd want it to be on. Oh yeah. Well, and you'd uh, need to publishers would want it on consoles because the reality yeah. is is that PC games, the best selling PC games, don't sell as well as a bad selling console game. Like it's just a reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, I just think I just think there'd be. I think that the expectations would be too, too. It'd be almost like a Duke Forever situation where people have oh, something yeah. in their heads of what this would be, and it, it won't be. I don't think it'll be as bad as that. I think they'd still make it as good <laughs> as it could be. But I don't, no, I you're just, right. It, it'll never live up to expectations, though. Mm. We see this time and time again. The only people who seem to feel like their game lived up to expectations, and I'm just going to say this, leave it on the table, we can discuss it at a different time, is somehow the Shenmue 3 people are happy. I don't know how that happened, but that's how low that bar was, right? But otherwise... Yeah, you ju- you're never going to do it. These games that people have waited forever for, they're just never going to be what you want them to be. They just yeah. won't. Um, so, you know, and, and I think maybe that's a good place to leave it. That's the legacy yeah. that Half-Life leaves behind. Also, again, we go back to the genre thing. Like, what is Half-Life? I call it a horror game. There's probably people who are listening to this right now who heard me say that and went, what? It's not a horror game? Like, and so there you go. Right there you point out the problem. Is yeah, it can yeah. be a hodgepodge. I don't know how well you can be a hodgepodge and successfully market this game. And it's going to live by the half three... Half-Life 3 name alone and how many people who have never touched these games can jump right into Half-Life 1 yeah, or 2. That's, that's, the, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, so I almost think they should just live on in perpetuity as what it is. I, I think the, the real spiritual successor is projects like Black Mesa, which just re reimagined the original. That's that's mm-hmm. more like it, I think. And may, so maybe, maybe reimagine the second one? Maybe, who knows? We'll see. But Possibly. Uh, we'll see. I mean, that that no. to me would be more of a 
a better use of someone's resources at this point. Um, I don't I still think, think Valve that, would do it, but Valve might no, approve. No, that's what I mean. Like if you, if you wanted to start it like Black Mesa and then you wanted funding and approval from Valve, you could probably yeah. finish it. But it's going to be a labor of love. We'll see where that goes. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious where that would go if somebody yeah. decided to do it. Now, remember, the orange box, if you play it on Series X, does uh, 4K that stuff. Um, it re-renders really? it at oh, 4K. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the Series X and the Xbox One X, it re-renders it at 4K. So I've, you can kind of see a hint of that. <laughs> yeah. It's a backwards compatible <laughs> X enhanced game. Some of the weirdest games get it. Half-Life oh, 2 yeah. is an appropriate game to get it. It's just so weird that its best version, in my opinion, mm. is on the, the Xbox where console. no one wants to play it. Right? With a gamepad. <laughs> uh, it's, it's much more doable than the first game on a gamepad. But yeah, it's just a weird place for it. Or people mm. who are like, oh yeah, and you know what else is X? enhanced the force unleashed happy may the fourth um but uh but like yeah there was a game that everyone was clamoring for in a really updated version um but it's just weird what's out there um so anyway all right well with 90 minutes in i think we'll call it to a close but uh jam thank you very much for joining me and talking to me about this very influential game and i think we did something we were never able to do back in the gh 101 days we went way beyond what i thought we would talk about and we did it in under 90 minutes (laughs) on time yeah shocking so all righty sir well i want to thank you and until next time if you have any questions uh suggestions uh, games you'd like to see covered or genres or developers or things like that i don't think i want to do genres but maybe developers or series uh just shoot them over to us at contact at gaminghistory101.com and hopefully in the future we will have projects to talk about with jam and maybe a future episode on more stuff so stay tuned All right, friends, and now let's wrap up the episode with a little discussion on frame rates. There's a lot of frame rate talk out there, and with retro consoles, it's not even that pertinent. So I want to take about 10 minutes or so and just talk about what's going on with retro consoles, frame rate, frame rate analysis tools, the videos you see online, and even how to get some more recent games, but to run even more gorgeously on modern consoles. So with that in mind, let's just delve right into it. And you're going to be surprised by what I'm about to say, but uh, outside of Digital Foundry, 
Um, there are not really many good sites for a frame rate analysis. And the reason for that is they're not capturing uncompressed. Uncompressed is very expensive and extremely hard to do. It requires a ton of hardware. And because of this, no one's really done a very good job at getting uncompressed video. Digital Foundry does a very good job and IGN has lately been able to do it. But my issue with IGN is I don't really like their interpretation of that. Digital Foundry is really the only place I've found that has a good analysis tool, good enough capture to make those analyses accurate and enough tech knowledge to fill the gap. In the future, I'd like to see Digital Foundry maybe offer its services up where somebody submits a video and a fee and they verify it to make sure it's a proper uncompressed video. They do the analysis and return it back to the person, maybe even with a report on what it's doing so that they can utilize that on their site. But even if they wanted to leave it open to their own interpretation, they would just do the processing because I know those tools are very um, specific. They're developed in-house at Eurogamer and Digital Foundry. Um, be very wary of any other sites or YouTube sites using open source items like Teardrop or whatnot. It's not that these are not good analysis tools. It's just that they're probably using compressed video, which will introduce artifacting and various other things that make their analysis inaccurate. But none of that really matters because honestly, old school retro games you're gonna see if the frame rate tanks and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So I view frame rate analysis as more as a modern guide to picking what game to buy in the modern day or as things get upgraded with like X enhanced or FPS boost on the Series X, you get to see what the old one was doing and now you get to see what the new one was doing. In terms of retro consoles, Everything's trying to get to 60 frames a second or 30 frames a second. And the reason for that is the refresh rate universally of most TVs is 60 frames a second. So early on, they would target that on like the NES, Super NES and all that stuff. And then right around the PlayStation 1 era, they could also go for 30 frames a second because they knew that if they duplicated each frame, it would feed 60 frames a second to the TV and the TV would have no problem with it. That logic is largely alive and well today with televisions. Yes, some televisions can do variable refresh rates or 120 frames and whatnot, but largely it's 60 or bust. And so when Gradius 3 on the Super NES tanks its frame rate, you can visually see it. When Mega Man 2 struggles, you can see the flicker. Like it's very clear when these games are tanking frame rate and you either deal with it or you don't and you either notice it or you don't. That's one of the biggest things I always say. If you don't notice the difference between 30 and 60 FPS, unless you really want to be knowledgeable uh, for a skill that probably doesn't have much value and it could possibly change your appreciation of a video game, Maybe you don't want to see the difference. Maybe you're, um, maybe it's awesome that you can't see the difference. So to me, frame rate analysis has almost no use in the retro front, if I'm being honest. Um, but if you will permit me uh, to play around a little bit here, I want to delve very briefly into how it can work with PCs and consoles in the modern day for some of the more recent, but still arguably retro games that are out there. The first one is PC. If you get an old school game, there's a good chance you will have control over the frame rate or you can apply a patch or make a setting that will unlock that frame rate, allowing it to do 60, 90, 120 frames per second. This is how you can see older games, such as like really old games like Blood Rain and get it to run at 60 frames a second, 90, 120. 
Again, that's more of a PC hacker world, but it is options that are available to you. And again, you don't need a frame rate analysis to tell you this, you just do it. And if you're on PC, you probably have many tools at your disposal to tell you what the frame rate is. And those I do trust because all it's doing is telling you what it's feeding to your monitor. So yes, that frame rate analysis is spot on. Um, alternatively, there's obviously the PlayStation 4 and now by proxy, the PlayStation 5, which can do PlayStation 2 games. Again, your performance is not going to change much, but it can clear overhead. So, for example, if um, I think it was GTA San Andreas struggled on the PlayStation 2 to hit its 30 frames a second target lock. Well, now when it's on the PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5 through an emulator, it can hit that 30 frames a second and be smooth all around. That's cool. Um, other times, you have issue, you have instances like on the PlayStation 5 specifically where games like PlayStation 4 Pro games that had unlocked frame rate, it would struggle to do any better than like 30 frames a second. In some cases, it might be a little bit jittery. Well, if it has an unlocked frame rate, the extra power of the PS5 allows it to achieve 60 frames a second, no problem. Sometimes not even with a patch. I believe Sekiro Shadows Die Twice just naturally starts running at 60 frames a second as does um, Ghost of Tsushima. And you can also find with a patch, games like Days Gone can render at its 4K, like pro, checkerboarded, and run at 60 frames a second. So you do have some of those options, but none of that is nearly as robust as what Microsoft is doing on its backward compatible front and with its auto HDR and FPS boost. So to wrap up and run down, you do have some old school games that were X enhanced. They, they ran on the Xbox One X, but on the Series S and X, uh, no, sorry, on the Series X, they can get even larger enhancements. So for example, um, Panzer Dragoon Orta on the original Xbox, that originally ran at whatever its render was, I think it was 480p. Now it up reses, which means it re-renders the game at full 4K with X enhanced, 16 times resolution when you're playing it on an Xbox One X or Series X. And then if you're on the Series X, you also get the benefit of what's called auto HDR, which is high dynamic range. It's an algorithm that actually attempts to simulate HDR with a wider color palette and brighter pixels. This is counter to things that force HDR in kind of like a fudging it way, which sadly is the current way that the PlayStation 4 5 handles it. But on the Xbox Series X, Panzer Dragoon Orta gets kind of transformed and it looks great. You can also turn this off though if you don't like it and you just want to see the standard definition color palette, that's perfectly acceptable. The rule of thumb I usually use is Microsoft has it on by default and turns it off on games where it's not ideal, such as GTA 4, which they noticed was, was not ideal and natively turn it off. Like frame rate, it's up to you. Whatever looks best to you. On that same subject of GTA 4, that's a non-Xbox One enhanced game that got benefits from the Series X. It ran at an unlocked frame rate, but usually only hit about 30 on the uh, Xbox 360 and Xbox One with backward compatibility. On the Series X, now it hits a locked 60 frames a second. So you actually get a benefit, even though no change has been made to the game at all, just based off of how the game was programmed. Additionally, there's FPS boost. And the rule of thumb there was 
If FPS Boost is on by default, that means they're able to give you the best presentation of the game and double the frame rate. So 30 frames a second games go up to 60, 60 frames a second games go up to 120. Um, if it's off, that means there's probably an Xbox One enhanced patch that if you turn on FPS Boost goes away. It can't play that higher end version. So it assumes you want the better looking game rather than the better performing game. Again, it's your choice. Just look at the defaults once they're in there. Um, there are a few exceptions, and the only real retro one is, um, of course, Skyrim, which, uh, surprisingly enough, has FPS boost and gets the X enhancement, so it runs at a native 4K 60 frames a second on the Series X. Another weird backward compatible one on the Xbox One X and Series X is Frontline Fuel of War for the 360. That one, when it got X enhanced, went from 30 frames a second to 60 frames a second and also renders from 720p now up to 4K, which is pretty impressive. Um, the last two, which I'll just mention, even though they're modern games because they just look gorgeous, is somehow Rise of the Tomb Raider and Shadow of the Tomb Raider are able to run with FPS boost on at 60 frames a second with their native 4K dynamic resolution, um, which is staggering and gorgeous. Those games are spotlights for the Xbox uh, brand of consoles and definitely worth checking out. But there are plenty more. There are over almost 100 games with FPS boost and hundreds of games with X enhancements, not to mention backward compatibility everything running with auto HDR if you want it on. So hopefully that opens your eyes to a lot of the enhancements you can get with retro console, uh, retro games on modern consoles or retro consoles and why, in truth, FPS in retro games just doesn't matter all that much. Well, that wraps up episode two, and I hope you enjoyed it. I wanted to take a brief moment to put a couple of caveats based off of the first episode. First and foremost, I said this week on the first episode, suggesting that the show is weekly. Actually, the show has no set schedule. The point is, is that I always release one episode when I'm recording the next episode so that we always have a consistency going. I ideally would like the show to be every two weeks, and I might even do interspersials for weekly, but you guys let me know with uh, obviously telling people about it, subscriptions, and of course you can contact us at contact at GamingHistory101.com. And as the sun sets on Black Mesa, we look to the future, specifically to the year 20XX, where a little known character by the name of X has to team up with an unlikely friend and has a striking resemblance to Rockman. That's right, it's Mega Man X for the Super NES, next time on Retroactive.